welcome back to the podcast, your number one podcast for cannabis enthusiasts. As usual, you're joined by your boy, Heavy Days, here from the Upside Down Library. And as always, we couldn't make the show happen without our fantastic sponsors. Huge shout out to Seeds here now, number one seed bank in the game. You know them, you love them, they've got all the hottest drops and they're going to sort you out. Satisfaction guaranteed. Check them out, Seeds here now. Likewise, a huge shout out to Coppet Biological Systems, number one choice for any beneficial predators that you need to keep the garden happy and healthy. Check out the Acuparam or the Spidex Vital, two phenomenal products that are going to keep bugs at bay and your harvest popping and pest free. Coppet Biological Systems, check them out guys. Furthermore, big shout out to the one and only ProMix. You know ProMix, they've been around forever, making high quality mediums. You might even be using it right now, but did you know they make a killer mycorrhizal product? ProMix Connect, your number one mycorrhizal product with a guarantee on the viable spores inside, meaning you're getting amazing value for money because you know the product works. Go grab ProMix Connect, it's your number one choice. Last but not least, our buddies at Charlie's Cannabis. If you're after some high, high quality flour, hit them up. They've got amazing strains that they pheno hunt themselves using the work of some fantastic breeders. If you're after a high grade product in Oklahoma, check out Charlie's Cannabis. You will not be disappointed. Charlie's Cannabis, thank you so much for sponsoring the show. And last but not least, the Patreon gang. We could not do this without you. If you want to get access to content early, if you want to hear unheard interviews, extra segments, and so much more, please consider joining the Patreon. www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast gives you access to everything you're after and more. You are the lifeblood of this show. We appreciate you, Patreon supporters. Thank you. On this episode, we're joined by the one and only head of Canner Exotics, Gooey Breeder himself. Here to expand upon our first episode, talking new genetics, old genetics, upcoming projects, where you might be able to find his cuts, predictions for the future, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. Alrighty, friends, we are back for another exciting episode, and in this one, we're joined again by the head honcho of Canner Exotics, the land race lover. A big welcome back, part two, with the resin master, Gooey Breeder. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you very much, and God bless everybody who's giving their time to come in and say hello to me and listen to this old fool gab on. No, we love it. We love it. And first question of the day, what have you been smoking on recently? Uh, well, you know what, just before I got onto this, uh, I, uh, was smoking some mom, mom gooey, <clears throat> always smoke some mom gooey, always start off with mom gooey. Um, now I'll tell you, here's the reason why, and, and I will get right into this. <sighs> gooey is one of those things that's a little bit configured different than most cannabis is. And this is just one of the plants that that came out of that run that was just so unusual and different and, and unique. And what I found is, is that it has a couple of different qualities. It only runs about 18%. When you, so, you know, it's not a, a you know, a 
thumper as far as that goes. But what it, but people always comment how strong it is and how much stronger it feels like that. And that's because of the arrangement of all of the different chemicals that are in the gooey that are, line up just so, and it gives it that perfect mix between body and mind. And you can feel it uh, in different, different ways and at different times. Plus it has that uh, um, effect of being kind of exciting in the morning and mellowing in the evening. It's got it all as far as that goes. And then you can exacerbate all of those by going ahead and, and adjusting the picking times because it has a wide window. I mean, you can let it go as late as 10 weeks, which is really long for that plant because you normally start harvesting about six and a half. So, I mean, yeah, oh yeah, it's a very fast plant, uh, which is something I like and which is what I build into all of my stuff. I really try and make them quick because turn around, it's time to get it going. Next. So anyway, yeah, gooey is, a, is always a standard. Um, but then, uh, you know, you can, we can take, you know, some of these things like this and we'll turn it into, you know, these purple, beautiful black things, you know, and we'll just, you know, let all that go and we'll just keep on going and getting to work and doing other things. But, you know, that black stuff I just showed you is the latest thing that people have been seeing on Instagram. It's the black raptor and it is amazing smoke. It's got it all. It's got the taste that you would just die for. You can, uh, uh, feel the nice warmth of a nice balanced high that comes from it. I'm really excited about it and I'm happy to bring it and add it to the black lines that I'm developing now. So the next thing is to take that big ass bud that I just showed you and convert that size and structure from the other into that and get rid of the, everything else about that big bud because basically it's, it's a, it's a cute little smoke that means nothing. So, but the structure is wonderful. And so we're going to use that and turn other varieties that have everything and give it that structure and that way it'll be good for um one of the i was developing for uh, this is kind of like an offshoot i was developing it for a company in colorado that's coming up with automated harvesting equipment and they wanted me to design plants that were uh, you know applicable to that uh, machinery and, and this is one of the designs that we're we're going to, to give it to them but we're going to replace all the genetics in it except for that structure so because it's easy to trim and it's you know it, it does a, it was a quick harvest a lot of good things about it just wasn't good smoke you know so but that's not a big deal we'll deal with that so anyway that's where we're at and that's where that you know that's where we're going and that's what i've been smoking lately is those things and hey i love it and i want you to too that's beautiful. I've, I've been enjoying myself browsing your Instagram quite uh, heavily over the past few days. And is that the, uh, the Syrian you were posting about? Yeah, that was. That is the Syrian. That's almost gotten 20,000 likes, <laughs> that picture. Incredible looking plant. <laughs> As you, the structure is phenomenal. It, it's beautiful. And it was, a, it was a gift given to me uh, to try those genetics from over there. And, you know, uh, I kind of tend to think this is more of a service crop for uh, multiple things, not really so much. It, it, may, it may have been, it, I don't think it was developed for drug. I think it was more for other, other, they use it for various other things. You know, I think this was a C, higher CBD, lower THC, has a nice smell, has a, a, a pleasant kind of a oldie, you know, folksy kind of a taste to it that you remember from way back when, when dope wasn't very strong 
which I really kind of want to get into a little bit. You know, people look back and they say, oh, back in the day, all the old ties and stuff that you used to have, like this one here, which is a very old tie. Um, it, they, they were so much better and so much stronger. No, they weren't. <laughs> they, you know, they weren't. They, they were just... Um, for the, the time, they were the strongest there was. And you hadn't experienced, when you were used to three and four and 6% THC and brickweed, then all of a sudden you come up with something from Hawaii that's 10 and 12, it's going to knock your socks off. Well, that was kind of how it was with those, you know, those plants. But intervention over time, breeding with people doing selective breeding, they've gotten those THC numbers up artificially. That didn't happen. It does not happen in nature. Nature kind of goes the opposite direction. Um, um, man has selected that. So we just got to keep that boat cruising right along. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I mean, brought up the tie there because I, I wanted to ask you, I had seen in some of your new creations, you were using a parent that I think you had just labeled as old tie. Is that a new one or uh, something you've been using for a while? No, it's actually a blend. It was a, a tie crossed with a pineapple tie, and uh, the the tie, the old tie was a, a was basically a pretty old variety that um, I had had around in storage for a while, and had made some seeds to kind of just keep it going, but it hadn't really worked it. And now I started growing this out again. This is the black tie that, that came from uh, that set. And it's a it's a traditional look. This is the way that you know they used to grow, and uh, this is how I remember most ties going. This is not the best example, but within the genetics, there are better ones. So I'm going to just slowly draw those out. And so yeah, the pineapple I thought was really nice. The only problem with the pineapple tie was is that the pineapple smell and flavor came in really strong at week three. And then by week five, it's kind of gone on and drifted on something else. And I hate that. So I have a fix for that and I'm working on that. There you go. I mean, recently we had some guests on who have been uh, maybe working with Thai themselves. And one of the things was which sort of came out regularly was people talk about this love for the Colombian influence in the Thai. Uh, sorry, in the haze. My apologies. People have been talking about haze. Uh, in the Thai in the haze. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess what I'm interested in hearing from you is do you see a lot of Thai expression in your haze lines? Or oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, it, it, as a matter of fact, the uh, old Mendo Hayes mother, which is like, I don't know, a dozen years old now. Um, I use her uh, all the time as a, as a, in a whole host of ways. And it's because of the heavy tie expression she's got. It's lanky. It doesn't, you know, it spreads. It's got a lot of, you know, the, it's got a lot of lowland tie kind of expressions to it that from what I've seen. Uh, from what I remember back in the day, too, uh, same kind of thing. Only this one plant out of this set from the old Hayes Brothers stuff that was up from a guy up in Mendocino, it is just phenomenal in its expression. And every time I, every time you know people hear me say that, they kind of, yeah, okay, fine. And every time they actually smell it in person and see it in person, it blows their mind because it's so pungently lime vodka um yeah you know and it gets all it gets the resin structure and the high 
bright uh, turps from the Thai side. That's definitely from that. So I see a lot of it in there. And I, and that's one of the reasons why I like using it. The other thing I like using it is because <laughs> this, this guy, when he did it, he trained it so that the, it was a Mendocino harvest time. And so he went for a quick harvest time because they get rain up there faster. So he selected for that before he passed on, God bless him. And, um, we, uh, we now celebrate his, his work with that one plant, uh, in, in the arsenal is something that it was the only one I found that was like that, but it was an exceptional thing. And that's why I tell people you got to search through all those seeds to find that really special one and then hold on to it and use it. Because what I do use the old Mendo haze for a lot is amplification. It has the uh, ability to go in and take another strange turp and bring it forward and louder in that own expression, in its own expression. So it doesn't overwhelm it. It may add a little ting at the end, you know what I mean? But it's not going to be uh, uh, something that overwhelms the, it in, in all cases. Now, in some cases, it will overwhelm it, you know, and that's just what you get in breeding, especially when I breed. I want that spread because my people are breeders themselves and they want different phenotypes to select from they don't like to get locked into something that's something that's already been worked that's their job you know so um so i want to give them that spread and this is is just really so great for that and i use it as an amplifier to bring all kinds of different turps you know if you want uh, a nice gassy smell or something like that and we, well we can make it so that it looks you, you know when you walk in a room it <laughs> kind of spilled gas all over yourself and they, what have you been doing siphoning so yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's it's definitely a useful product, and I believe that the tie is uh, is responsible for that. So yes, brilliant. I'm I'm glad to hear as someone who's very fond of tie myself. I I'm very reassured to hear that. And you brought up an interesting discussion point there about the gas, and I feel like in the past few years gas has really come back into fashion it's the popular thing and so i'm wondering do you ever get people who are like hey i want some gooey breeder that smells like pure gas oh yeah oh i get it all the time and i tell them no <laughs> because that's not <laughs> what i'm into i really don't like it i i and i'll tell you why because mostly and, and this is a good good thing to get into because i was going to bring up gases and stuff gases have only been popular since about the late 80s, when they first started showing up in breeded material, when breeding first started to kind of, everybody started to realize that, wow, you know, a, a plant that's three feet tall can be worth $50,000. You know, all of a sudden they started to get that, you know, and, and that's why now you see this proliferation of breeders who frankly probably could, you know, stand to do a little more education and, and stop and get to know their stock better a little bit first. Cause I always preach, know the backgrounds of your material, make sure that you uh, uh, have that fully in your mindset before you start crossing with other things. And you need to know both sides. You need to know intimately both sides. So that's why I always tell people microbreeding helps you to learn those things a lot faster, a lot gets through it a lot uh, uh, safer and with a more predictable outcome than, you know, these, these things that are come about because, and one of the reasons the gas is so prevalent is because the gene pool has been narrowed down so much with people using other people's stuff. That's already successful. Now I understand that. And when you're talking grow setups and millions of dollars in investment and, 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 and what you're talking about in this modern age, 
uh, going with a tried and true that's, you know, sold and produces well before is a smart thing to do on the surface. But everybody's doing that. And all of a sudden, now people are starting to see a glut in pot in the dispensaries. They're starting to see uh, a backlog. of. Uh, I, I know several professional growers who still got last year's crop that they've got in storage that they haven't been able to turn. And it's just because their shit's like everybody else's that's out there. You want to fix that? Come up with new shit. You want to come up with new shit? The way to do that is to use new genetics. Now, that's where the sticking point is really difficult for a lot of people. A lot of people aren't me. I was, I was a nerd, weed nerd from way back, and I saved a lot of stuff, and I had people go out and get a lot of stuff that came from point of origin, and, did, and, and that really contributed a lot to the ability. Plus, I never integrated the mainstream stuff into any of my work. So when they, anybody gets any of my work, they're getting something that isn't in the gene pool as a whole unless somebody's used my work before because these are composites, a lot of different stuff I've created. So it, that's a really important thing when uh, people are trying to make a name for themselves in this business and become, uh, I'm at the tail end of it right now. I'm tired. I'm old. I'm not going to last that much longer. This shit will kill me here, you know, one of these days soon because, you know, that's just how it is. Um, but <clears throat> but the, the new people coming up, they need to, start seeking out those pocket grows and those pocket areas in the world that are still enclaves of, um, of good genetics that are, perhaps they don't meet up to today's standards, but they hold the recessives that when bound with the stuff that they're growing now and stuff can awaken new stuff that's buried deep and can't come out any other way. That's the thing. You got to drive this stuff forward the way that, and that's why background knowledge is so important for the strains because a smart breeder can therefore know exactly which directions can know exactly which, which, well, I should say exactly, but approximately uh, uh, to a good degree, what's going to become dominant out of these things. And what, you know, if he's trying to dig out something that's been there from the past that hasn't been seen in a long time, Find something else that has that genetic in it, you know, that's not expressed. Mate them and bring it forward, and all of a sudden it'll be right there for you to use. Then make it dominant, you know. And, and it, it's not hard. It's just people just need to take the time to do it. But it's going to help the new breeder in this day and age separate themselves. And it's a tall task because you, you can't live my history. For you know, I I there's nobody that can start right now and have what I have. And that's scary and it's unfortunate, but it's just cold, hard fact. It's a, just another scientific fact. And so that's why I like to get my stuff out there to breeders to get it out into the, into there to start improving that gene pool or to change it at least to something that's different that's, that they can market. Now, having said that, I want to get into the, um, dispensary thing and what dispensaries are taking and what and they're what they're being driven by because that's one of the things that is causing this bottleneck of genetics that people are using because dispensaries don't want to take everything that everybody grows if it's airy if it's they don't want it 
But I got to I got to tell you, I have a soft spot for Airy Pot and I'll tell you why. And I think it's more important that the customer have the availability to be able to get it than not. And it, the reason is. When you smoke a bowl and you're smoking, um, let's say, oh, and you just you insert the dispensary weed in there and put it in there. It's a nice hard nug and you put it into a bowl, you fire it off and you have a few hits. Great hits. Those are wonderful hits. Put the bowl down, walk away doing something else. Come back a little while later, think you'll finish the bowl, and you start smoking that again. And where is that same buzz? It's not there. It's not there. Why is it there? Because you vaporized all the stuff that was in there in those first few hits. And so you got a really good, strong hit. And now it's just converted and 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 past tense and you are not getting what you had in those first few bowls plus tastes like shit okay so who wants that i have always advocated and it's true proven fact that your thc levels are more steady in looser pot plus you get the chance to be able to load up maybe two bowls instead of one but the flavor is there all the time and you enjoy it better what's wrong with that and it, it looks nice when you're getting, instead of getting a little nug like this that costs you 50 bucks or whatever it is, you get an actual baggie that has, you know, some substance to it. And you feel like you've gotten something and it's more enjoyable. When have you ever gone into the dispensary and seen these nugs and seen the full crystals that you see on, let's say, my plants that you that are on Instagram and uh, those crystals? I guarantee you those crystals are still there on this bud when it hits, you know, wherever it hits. And it's not there when those super dense, hard buds that they take and they've processed and they've rolled first to take off the, you know, so that you, you're missing all that. That's bullshit. And it should be the, the customer's choice to be able to have that dense weed or not. And the only way to change that is to make looser weed more marketable and more palatable to the public and make them understand that this is to your benefit. You're going to remember things that you haven't had if, you know, since your first time smoking if you're old. And if you're not, uh, you're going to experience things for the first time that are you're going, wow, that's really something, you know, that's really good. And you've, you've tried some of my stuff. You know what I'm talking about as far as flavor goes. Well, you know they aren't real super dense but they're, they're, they're driven towards that end. It's your enjoyment I'm working on. And so that's where we want to be. And that's where I want every breeder to concentrate. And that's why this is so important to do. All of it is so important to do. So we need to change the public perception. We need to be able to open up those avenues for more grows and be able to make sure that they can still afford to make, you know, their payments. So, you know, just got to make good plants that produce well. And, and it, it's it's important. It's important. We drive the industry. The industry needs to understand that that everything that's done in a conscious breeder's effort is for the customer's own good. And then once they get that, we're on a compatible road together and moving this plant forward to the next phase. And I don't even know what that next phase is going to be. You know, I, I've taken it as far as I'm going to go. I'll tell you right now, I'm tired. <laughs> Look, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you've said. And uh, 
I wish we could snap our fingers and make it happen. With that in mind, I've been thinking, you know, how can we get this message out to the masses? And the common sort of feedback I hear from people who work or own dispensaries is that everything's so driven by numbers and names. And I'm sure you're, you know, very aware of this. Oh, yeah. So my question becomes... Do we try to market the benefits of what you've been discussing to the individual consumer who's maybe not so plugged in or are the store owners and employees the gatekeepers? Well, yeah, again, you're talking apples and oranges because the, um, the gatekeepers, uh, so to speak, you know, have a, they have a job to do. They have taxes to pay. They have overhead to deal with. They've got everything to, that they've got to deal with as normal business. And then some in the cannabis business, the cannabis business is very, the onus on the, the owners of those places is just incredible. And it's really a, an overburdened uh, institution to begin with. But, you know, having said that, um, to deny the customer the choice is to me the greater sin. And so I think that maybe this little talk will have somebody, just one person, and experiment and try what I'm saying, maybe find a benefit, and then that gets tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and then you've got to, you know, you've lit a fuse. And, and that's what you want to try and do. Again, it's for their benefit. I have nothing to gain from advocating something that isn't going to be a commercially viable product other than knowing that somebody was ended up enjoying it more than they would have a commercial product, you know? So that's how I look at this kind of stuff. I, I don't look at it from, and, and, and that's my flaw. I understand that. I, my flaw is, is that, you know, I'm looking out for the customer over my self-interest. It comes back to you. I believe it comes back to you. But having said that, you got to put food on the table. So it's a, it's a really hard thing to balance. But I, I think, the, the, again, a gram of pot is a gram of pot uh, in a dispensary. If that gram you know, is this big or is it this big, who, who cares? I mean, I know these people have storage. I know they could store you know, this kind of stuff. And packaging comes into play, too. I mean, getting creative with the packaging. I want to see earth-friendly packaging as much as possible, you know. But again, it all comes into keeping that bud secure until that person tears it apart for themselves. And I just, I, I just really think that the customer has a benefit from being able to uh, have that choice. I think they should have that choice. There are a lot of young kids these days who won't smoke loose bud. They just, they look at it and they laugh, you know. Uh, roll it up for them and pass it to them. And it's like, oh, damn, what is this? You know, <laughs> oh, it's that thing you just went over. Oh, huh. well, let's talk about this, you know, and then you get them into conversation. And before you know it, they're advocating, you know, along your lines and they're passing over. And, you know, all of a sudden they're telling you that they're going to that bag that you gave them over store-bought stuff until that bag's gone before the store-bought stuff that they spent money on is. That then you know you've done your job. That's it. The empty the empty jar tells no lies. <laughs> right. So one of the one of the questions which I often hear discussed in this sort of general conversation is that like it would be great to get these you know really uh, unique weed varieties to people, 
But because of the numbers, it makes it challenging. And so I guess what I'm wondering is, do you think it's possible to retain the unique elements of some of these more old world plants, but maybe bump the numbers a little bit, not necessarily to like 30% or anything, but just enough to get people more interested while retaining those special characteristics? Well, again, uh, you know, it's really all about the uniqueness of if somebody hasn't ever felt this arrangement of THC molecules and the way that they are, the, the cannabinoids are just all arranged to where they, you know, are different than they've ever felt before. It gets their attention. Mom always gets people's attention. She's 38 years old this year. She always gets people's attention because it feels different. It doesn't have to be stronger. It has to be arranged different. And the only way to arrange things different is to have different things to arrange in this kind of a market setting at this point. Yeah, a, a great answer, a great answer there. You you mentioned earlier that you know you were smoking on some uh, gooey this morning. I wanted to quickly ask you, do you prefer the flower or the concentrates you get from her? You know what? I I am not a and I get shit for this all the time. I don't smoke a lot of concentrates for a couple of different reasons. One, I'm 63 years old. My lungs are like little raisins, you know, right now. So I, 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 I can't smoke a lot of stuff like that that's going to kill it and make it even a, a, like a, a little, I don't know what, a crazen. You know, it's, <laughs> it's going to be awful. Um, but having said that, my, I, I, I can't get used to smoking concentrates because then I can't evaluate what I'm doing. And everything I do, I smoke. Everything I do. Every plant you see, I smoke. And it's because I need to know what it's doing. I've saved it in case I will, whoa, you know, that's good. You know, I, I, I need to, you know, explore this more. And, and if it does that to me, then I know it's something that is going to be something you enjoy. If it does it to me with the amount I smoke and the amount and what I do, if it does it to me, I know it's something that you folks want. And so that's why I don't go to concentrates. And that's why I, I'll smoke them occasionally when they're given to me, you know, as a gratuity or something. I just did the, a couple of days ago to the, the Cannabis Cup winner from um, 2017. He uh, invited me over and then and he just wants to get me into smoking, you know, the, all the extracts. And I'm like, OK, yeah, and then I'm done. You know, OK, fine. I don't know. But I, I, it's because it has a purpose. I have a real reason. And if I didn't, if I did the other way, because he tells me he doesn't, he doesn't smoke flowers anymore. He's a grower, he's a professional, and he doesn't smoke flowers anymore. And to me, that's a flaw. Because, you know, the concentrates are going to be good if the flower is good. So why do you need to, you know, if you need to smoke that, then stop smoking for a while and get back to square one and then start, you know, getting into more different stuff that, you know, you're not doing as much damage to your lungs as far as the, the, the tars and waxes that are in those concentrates, you know, they're, they, they, they you know, I, believe me, I've been doing this a long time and I've smoked a lot of different stuff and it doesn't do your, your body a lot of good. So you've got, I mean, it does, it, it's good for your body in certain ways, not this way, but it's for a purpose. It's for you. Yeah, no, look, I wholeheartedly agree. And 
I made the switch to vaporizing only a, over a year ago now and I've never looked back. I appreciate flowers in, in such a more unique way. And one of the reasons why I brought up that question about the concentrates with the mum is because I, uh, I I enjoyed that post on your Instagram about that the machine you were looking for, the hash oil machine. Have you managed <laughs> to find it? Oh, yes. God bless people, I tell you. God bless people. I I. I uh, I don't want to, you know, name names and stuff on here because they don't need that. But there are people that just jump through hoops uh, to get me machines, and uh, I'm uh, I'm just so grateful because it's such a unique little uh, goofy thing. In today's world, they're really impractical and not really a a thing. I'm still going to use it because it's what I grew up with, and like I was telling. Uh, a gentleman yesterday about when he asked me about it and I said you know I had one of those back when they first came out in high times and I think they were like $179 it was expensive you know it was really expensive and so I ordered one and it came uh, all brown wrapped paper wrapped in just you know just discreet as all get out and um, I made some really fun raw hash oils out of it you know I didn't refine it and, and make honey oils or anything just, just raw hash oils but i was using old you know little flowers and and a lot of stuff that, that people were using it at that time with just leaves and and whatnot and i now you know i'm gonna throw in a bunch of the other stuff and i throw hash in there that i'd make and everything and then get it all in there and then i'd take tie sticks just like these you know and i'd make sticks and then i'd roll it in there and let it dry and then I'd give them away as Christmas presents every fall. That was my little thing. And so it was, it was a, um, uh, every time I see one of those or I think about it in the fall, I think, oh, I wish I had one of those. And bam, people have come through and I am just overjoyed. And they are going to be paid back very handsomely for it. Look, I'm, I'm glad to hear. And uh, that part of the reason I asked that is because the connoisseur hash scene has really seen a resurgence in the past few years. It's been great to see. And I guess I'm wondering for any of our avid hash making listeners out there, are there any lines of yours particularly that you think would do well making some high quality hash? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pick one. I mean, literally pick one. Uh, you don't have to. I mean, there are, if they're looking for uh, things that are, uh, oh gosh, you know, that's, that's such a hard question because I can sit here and I can think about several of them that just stand out as far as the resin quality, but everything is so close. Uh, I mean, the, the differences are nuanceable. They're not dramatic. Uh, and that's intentional. I build in this heavy resin stuff to everything I do because that's how I like it. I need that in order to be able to have the, the, the terps overwhelm me and to have the high be as pronounced in me as I need it. So uh, any of the gooey based stuff is wonderful. It uh, comes, you know, like the pure gooeys and uh, anything with mom in, in the front tends to be dominant in that, that way. And those resin heads on her, I designed so that they were larger because I kept choosing and every, every breeder really does need to just always have their loop with them so that they can check everything and do measurements, do size, test things, look, use microscopes, use loops and get in there and just be 
picky as hell in, in picking out what it is that you think is just a little bit bigger, or if you can measure it micron wise, do it, you know, and, and, and that's, that's how I got things to be about two and a half times as large as they started out in the, in the other lander stuff that I used to make gooey. I just kept selecting for the larger heads because it kept, they kept growing and I kept seeing that ooh, this was a little, little more pronounced. Plus at the same time I had got lucky and at the same time those heads were getting larger, the stalks were getting longer. Well, everybody knows that the THC is located on the skin of all of that. And that inside there is no THC. It's all other oils and, and things, but the skin. So in my mind, increase the size of that bubble and you've increased the potency range, which is how it works out. So um, those are the kind of things that I think about. Uh, when I'm, I'm doing this kind of thing. And so uh, we, you, when you have um, the uh, Psychonas, those are very good for um, hash production because they're really coarse. Uh, the, the one that I liked this last year was the King's Banner cross because it kind of upped the game a little bit with uh, the King's Banner. It was is it a Bruce Banner uh, thing. And I, it was a request um, done some people wanted that particular strain cut with a few things. And, and so I did, and I did that for them. And then whatever I had left, I went ahead and I just was giving out mostly to people uh, for free. But yeah, I did sell some of my think or, or Matt may have, uh, Matt may have sold the majority of it, but you know, these little packages, I mean, they can, they hold a lot of good stuff for people. And I really want, I think that you'll, uh, be able to, uh, see when you start growing uh, that just about anything I, I do is made for extraction and for um, high, high people who want, you know, that bold flavor forward kind of an experience. So, yeah, I, I, I recommend anything with mom gooey. I recommend anything with uh, midnight snow. Um, all those are going to just, just be really well pronounced. The psychonis are going to be real pronounced. <laughs> the, the Hawaiians, you name it. You know, it's I, I just like resin. I'm just a resin guy. So you're not going to see it if it doesn't produce like that. That's reassuring to hear. And uh, interesting to hear about the King's Banner. We'll come back to that in a few questions. But I wanted to ask you, because you, you just gave me the perfect introduction there, where you said, you know, like things with the gooey at the front tend to be good with the resin. Uh, some friends of mine and I were really lucky enough to be able to try a uh, a midnight snow uh, C99 gooey hybrid you gave us um, beautiful beautiful plant hits all the all the things you could want out of a good plant and it got me thinking how did that male you selected out of the C99 gooey how did that like what traits does it pass on because as you said the gooey is very dominant but then again a C99 probably pretty dominant as well how did how did you find that one worked out here's here's the thing i didn't produce the mom times c99 portion of that that was done by duke diamond and duke diamond did those and sent me god knows how many seed of five six thousand seed he sent me to just to you know to have to play around because he had used mom to make this cross and uh, I, I went through some of those things and uh 
I generally only give those away as freebies because um, it's not something that I made. Uh, you know what I mean? And, 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 and so I can't make money off of somebody else's hard work, but I can certainly pass on that work to other people for them to experience his work and be able to enjoy it. Uh, but I found adding, I did a couple of crosses with that. And one of them was a mom times mom times C99. And that quite frankly opened up the recessives in the C99. And I got quite a bit of interesting uh, uh, stuff in there. But before that mom didn't dominate, but the C99, I, I gotta be honest with you. It probably wouldn't have been my selection of breeding for, for something to use. I have never really found that special C99 that I've heard so much about over the years. And quite frankly, I haven't really looked that hard for any other breeders work. It's just not, I've got too much else of my own to do. Uh, and, and I, uh, we all, we all stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. I don't care who you are. We came from all those hardworking people that, that work before us to create what you're using, no matter what it is to this day. So it is only incumbent upon us to do the best we can going forward with that, knowing that and being conscious always of that, that you're not, you're not the do all end all in this. And that's why I, everybody says, well, how can you stay so humble? You know what? I'm a tool of God. Ask anybody who knows me, they'll tell you I'm a tool. And that's the way it is. Uh, <laughs> that's the way it is. But you know what? I'm blessed. I'm happy to have this experience. I'm happy to be able to help people. And I'm happy to be his guiding you know, work in this so that others can go forward. This is what it's for. And C99 is, I, I think there's some stuff that people really like in it. And I, and God bless him for it. I, I think he, that he's an incredible guy, and I thank him very much for the opportunity to be able to give other people his work. Yeah, that's interesting to hear, you know, because I, we got a lot of questions about the King's Banner and why you chose to use that line. Can you give us a little bit of a more fleshed-out timeline? of? Was it simply just that you had some friends requested, or was there a little more that went into picking it? No, there were some actually some professional um, people that wanted it, and uh, that was something I was commissioned to do um, with the understanding that I was going to you know give some of them away. Uh, it makes a difference because uh, it's part of the BPS uh, Black Platinum Society set. Uh, most people aren't aware of all that and it, it, because it's an invite only for breeders around the world um, that pay for genetics to use in their own as their own and usually they're very trait specific things uh the king's banner was chosen because it has a a few of the um recessives of some very old indicas in there that this 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 company wanted to go ahead and have um and so they commissioned me to go ahead and tie mom into that because you know mom's got some excellent you know you're getting five different landrous things in basically landrous not hawaiian but the uh, everything else is uh, all raw genetics and so there's a lot of recessives that when you pair them with other stuff that's old and way back that was created 
you're going to find some recesses that match up and bring out completely new stuff, like I'd mentioned before. And so this was their thinking in this, that they wanted to have that spread um, and that set of stuff. Because, you know, they could deconstruct it very easily. I mean, there's methods to tear anything apart and get back to the individuals. It's just if you want to take the time to do it. I, I, I'm, I'm past that myself, so I let others deal with that, and they're one of them. So they can go ahead and they can deconstruct that into the two separates, and then they can even take it further and separate GUI all the way back into each individual component. You know, it's all numbers, all numbers. Yeah, okay. And, like, in terms of future projects, do you have any current plans to maybe bring another sort of external genetic into the library and incorporate that, or...? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, um, well, the Syrian was, was uh, one example. There's also some old Lebanese that I have recently been gifted that I'm looking forward to that come from the red regions, you know, so I'm really hoping for that. Uh, I will know them because I've dealt with that kind of stuff. When I lived in England, I, I saw a lot of material from the, the Middle East in there. And so that I have some experience in that. So I know what to look for. And uh, I am also uh, really excited about the Colombian thing because while the Canada Exotics genetics are very popular now, becoming now in Colombia, I've also discussed with some folks down there who are actively going into the hills and going into the, uh, to find small growers, breeders that have been using these st stocks in their families for generations. And that's what I want. And he's uh, the, the gentleman that's over there and doing this for me uh, has assured me that he's uh, looking at uh, some very unique things that are, have been growing for there for a long time. The old Puna Rotas, uh, these kinds of things. So I'm very excited to look into those because pairing those with gooeys and stuff are going to bring out those old Colombians and, and, and the Mexican, the, the Acapulco gold that's in there. Uh, it's going to bring those forward a lot. And I, those are really fun genetics. Those are really fun genetics. Yeah. Wow. That sounds, that sounds very special. It, you've got me thinking on our most recent episode, we had Todd McCormick come on the show and I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work. He's been in the scene for quite a while doing things here and there, but recently he's paired up with Mel Frank and a few other people to bring some really old school gems back to the market. And the one I wanted to ask you about specifically was, He's got what he considers to be an original haze from Sam the Skunk Man, as well as, most specially, original Skunk One from Mel Frank. And I thought to myself, would you be interested in doing a, a pure gooey project using that Skunk One if you could get access to it and were confident it was real? Yeah, I probably would because I used the skunk one before. I And the, the skunk one that I used was from the old SSSC, um, back when it first was uh, uh it was the first seed bank uh and that that's uh that was the genetics that i used to cube gooey originally because it has some of the same genetics in it that gooey does and so it, it was good uh, it was a good matchup and it was really easy to work as far as that goes so yeah the original was very very malleable compared to later versions i don't uh, i don't even recognize the skunk one now that that exists now i don't even recognize it i've seen it and it doesn't have any of the characteristics that i remember skunk one was 
a very, very well-crafted seat. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, look, we might have to get you two in contact. And uh, as a follow-up, he's also been able to get um, original seeds of Northern Lights from um, Seattle Greg, who's the guy who gave it to Neville back in the day. And it got me wondering, would something like Northern Lights ever interest you or it's just too indica to... Nope, nope. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I don't want to offer that to to people it's different because other people are doing it other people have it that's something that other people can do i want to stay as original as possible because that helps the public be more diverse and the more that i sit there and do exactly what i'm railing against by using other people's stuff is uh, the hypocrisy would grow and grow and grow and and that's just not what i'm into i'm into diversity and making sure that we've got a selection of things that just you can't get any other way than other than keeping them separate you really can't now i do a lot of interbreeding and stuff but i always have a purpose for what i'm and this is my flaw i see nothing but holes i don't see the good stuff i see nothing but holes and when and to me a hole needs to be filled and it needs to be fixed and i got to take care of that and uh, I'll use the black raptor plant. People were just freaking out over the black raptor plant, how pretty it was. All I saw was is that it had buds that were, you know, this long on top. And then there was a bunch of stock and nothing else. And that's, that's a dirty plant. That's not, you know, that may work in indoor grows and, and where they trim off the bottoms to, you know, promote the, the stuff like production grows. It may be good for that. In my mind, it's 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 a hole that needs to be filled, and so my problem has always been and always will be that all I do is see holes in other people's work, and it's an awful thing to say. It's an awful thing to have. It's an awful thing to experience. But I just can't smoke something and go, "Wow, that's great." I got to go. Hmm. You know, it's kind of acidic and a little harsh on the throat, and doesn't the buzz comes on really slow, and I analyze it to death. And this is one of the, the bad things about being at the, a, a, the type of breeder that I am is, is this is, is you just see nothing but holes. Conversely, you guys all benefit from that, I hope, because I filled the holes and then you get the stuff, you know. But, and you know, for me, it's just a series of uh, misses and strikes and foul. Uh, <laughs> We're lucky to have you and your unique perspective. It's uh, I, I see. It's awful. Oh, <laughs> little hell. That's okay though. That's okay. Like I said, somebody's got to do it. And I, 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 if I didn't enjoy it, and I, this is this is what I've done all my life. I have people have to understand. I was thirteen when I started growing my own plants because I moved around all the time. I was an Air Force brat. I always had to have a stash. Where am I going to have a stash? And the only way you can do it is to grow your own. So that's what started all this, you know, and then that high times ad that had the, the first Colombian gold in it because they couldn't sell the damn stuff in New York. And I got a hold of some of that pot that lit the fuse that lit the fuse. And then I started reading it. And the, the very first time that I ever had um, two, only two plants, it was in Texas, Arizona, one of those, I think it might have been Arizona, had two plants, little plants, and one of them died. And the only thing you left was a female. And 
it grew seedless. And I thought I'd invented something. I started going, what the hell's going? This is bad. Oh my gosh. It was the best pot I ever had. And then I started reading about them and I, oh, oh, the Chinese for 5,000 years have been doing it like this. I'm not doing anything special at all. And then the next year after that, it was like super popular and in, in, in California, they were making whole houses full of it. And, you know, yeah, all this amazing seedless. Yeah. Yeah. I lived through all that shit. So it's, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird life. And I, uh, unfortunately, that's the kind of perspective that I have to look at, at everything through. Yeah, no, a, a brilliant perspective. Um, and I wanted to to jump into some of the more technical breeding questions, but I just got one last quick one for you that was submitted by quite a number of listeners, and they wanted to know, have you ever been impressed by one of the more modern hype strains? And if not, what was the last thing to impress you? Wow, that's a good question. Um. The only thing that comes to mind is something that came out of Humboldt in about 87, 88, uh, that really took me back. It was, I, I, I remember I was, I was in a parking lot and a friend of mine, and I smoked a bowl and I started to drive away and realized I forgot how to drive. Um, and that, that was some Afghani based material. And that was the last time that I was taken aback by, by something uh, in many a year. It's been many a year. So, no, again, I only see holes. And, and it, when I smoke the commercial stuff, it's like, yeah, you know, a lot of it is high THC, no soul. Uh, I, 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 somebody mentioned that online, and I thought that's very well put um, because that's exactly how it is. Um, uh, I call it bottle rocket pot where you're projected up and you're high as hell. And then all of a sudden, poof, and it's gone and it drifts away with the smoke and, and it's just gone. And I hate that. That's, that's, and unfortunately the genetics are to me like that, but you see, again, I'm colored by so much use and so many different strains smoking all the time that it, 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 it has to be. You know, it just has to be something very unique that's going to take my body by surprise. Otherwise, it's just another thing that, you know, I've had a thousand times. So, unfortunately, I got to say, I probably no, I haven't smoked very much that I'm really impressed with. I'm I'm sad to say that because I, I know that sounds really horrible and I'm not that kind of person to want to come off like that. It's just the truth. Not to fear, I uh, I had a sneaking suspicion you weren't going to tell me you were impressed by runs, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and it brings us to sort of how you go about creating strains yourself. And so the first question I wanted to ask you is, you were talking a little earlier about, you know, these flavors that emerged from your new lines. And I, I certainly can agree with that, having tried a few different ones. And so my first question is, do you create lines with the intention of sort of filling a flavor profile you don't have? No, no, no. I always have a target. There's always a goal. I'm not, I'm not hitting anything, any plant with anything without a goal firmly in mind for that plant. And I know exactly what I want. And I know what I want to bring forward. And I know how I'm going to bring it forward. And I know what I need to do in order to get that done the most efficient way as possible. And so, and this all goes back 
to knowing your strains inside and out. People will look at, at my stuff and they'll say, well, uh, you've got this combination over here and this combination over here, and they're kind of the same thing. Uh, I, I can get one or the other and be all right and be in the same. No, you're not. You're going to get a completely different thing from this than you were over here, even though they're using the same genetics and different combinations. Why? The target was different for this batch than it was for that. Now, there's a lot of unique flavors from the old African strain that I use for the purples that, that really come through in levels of spices and different kinds of, of, of uh, it's hard. I want to stay away from the earthy flavors because those are predominant. Everybody you know, complains about the, you know, or comments on earthiness. I don't want that. I like the Moroccan spice bizarre kind of a, of a, of a thing. And so I only select for that kind of an effect from those genetics. And that's what you're going to get out of this. And I hear this all the time. Wow, I've never tasted something like that before. Bingo. That's what I'm after is that effect right there. Because more and more pots becoming less about being stoned and being super high than it is about the whole consumption experience in, in itself. And that's going to translate, whether it be oils, whether it be resin, whether it be flour, whether it be hash, it, it's all going to translate over in that way, in that form for you to experience. And that's the set that I want to be different from everything else. So when I'm designing something, it's always with a Fill a hole kind of a mentality. I, there's a hole I'm trying to get filled. Let me give you an example. Microbreeding. You know, these look like little tiny plants that don't mean shit. And this particular batch doesn't. But beyond that, they show me in all these different sections, they show me what this spread had and how many were good to go. And I want you to look at this real close if people can look. Look at this expression here and look at this expression here. They're off the same damn seed. Well, wow. One's like a tie. Grow, if you grow if you grow and you only get this expression, what are you going to do with that? You're not going to look any further in that. But microbreeding shows you these different levels of color, different levels of resin, and more importantly, the smell. Each one has their own unique smell. Some of them are like the others, you know, and some are very different. And you're targeting whichever trait it is that you're looking for in that spectrum of what you're trying to design for. And then you choose that and you neglect everything else. Kill everything else. Because, and don't look back. And people fall for this all the time oh well this is pretty i want to you know maybe use that for something else unless it's ex super exceptional and you've got a target for it everything else goes so and that's the mentality that i live by and that's how and i wanted to bring that up because the microbreeding thing the mic that is microbreeding and what microbreeding in this company is is growing a lot of seeds picking them out after only letting them get so big so that you can 
have fast turnover. You're not waiting. Expression doesn't change. All it does is demonstrate what's in that seed. And then you choose that and you take it to the next step. That's why I never wrote the book, because it's just that simple. You're going to take it to the next step to see whether it's a viable plant for the other purposes, like production, like, you know, how it does as far as a big plant goes. But you've eliminated a lot of trouble and a lot of, uh, of uh, unusable material, a lot of time, money and space. You've eliminated all of that and you've only focused on what is proper and right and good. And you've had it in record amount of time. Now you can move forward. And that's how I can do things so fast. People say, "How do you? How can you do this stuff so fast?" And how you could, and and they think that I'm one of these people that doesn't test my lines. This is how I test my lines. You know, I see what I'm going to get. I know the numbers of the of the different how much male and female I'm going to get, which I want to get to in a second because uh, breeders can drive male and female percentages. And I'm going to use an example uh, from. Um, an unlikely source, which is really interesting. And I, this is something I experienced back when I was a kid um, in Nebraska. It, they grow a lot of corn. Corn is everywhere. And there's a lot of wild hemp everywhere. It's all over. Matter of fact, I used to hollow out the wild hemp fields that were close to the corn and I would plant Colombian seed and then go in there. And that was how I never had to worry about, you know, growing anything. I would just, and it would, it, it, back then, I would just seed with everything and males and females and all that. But at least you could, n nobody was stealing your stuff and they were, you know, leaving it alone. And it looked basically the same because it was Colombian. Um, so, you know, it was a, it, it, that was a good way. But one of the things that was noticed by farmers in the area, and I had a conversation with one of them once that kind of eluded me to this, to notice this. And, is that there, the, there was an increase in females adjacent to the corn crops. And the one deciding factor that I could see that was different, besides you know, it being runoff, which is another factor, but uh, was nitrogen. And uh, what it turned out to be, and what and, and nature kind of does this as a survival kind of a thing. And, and I can understand this because it makes perfect sense. In a nitrogen pre-flower, nitrogen-rich or nitrogen-enhanced, shall we say, setting, nature's going to prefer females because the plants get larger. They can grow. Um, they can be more of them, and there's less need for males to be as proliferous. And so, nature, over time, and with the conditions being that way in a landrous setting you will see this effect happen where they have an increase in female populations by introducing a little bit of nitrogen pre-flower than more than is normally in the, in the mix. So just upping that a little bit over time. Now it's different with polyhybrids, but we'll get to that in a second. I'm speaking right now about landrises because landrises show that variation in environment much more readily and predictably as demonstrated by the plant than the other polyhybrids. Polyhybrids, you got to know what's in it and know what's being expressed. Otherwise you get fooled and most people don't have that knowledge. So, uh, or they don't go to that depth. So, so when we're speaking with landers, it's easy to see this effect 
uh, take place. And so I always like to tell breeders that maybe you can over a period of time when you're breeding these stocks again and again and again, you can up that percentage of females expressed for your customers because most of the people buying seed are looking for females. Um, you know, they, you, you want the best for your customer. Again, that's, that's what we're working for. Now, I tend to go for a 50-50 shot with mine because breeders are my main people. But I like to tell breeders, go ahead and just make these small adjustments like this. Uh, it, and it makes a difference. And so learning that just firsthand, it was really kind of interesting to see that effect in a raw nature state. And then, you know, to kind of figure it out and have it confirmed. And, and, and plants are always going to do what is best for them. They don't care about you. They don't care about m music. If people say, oh, they respond to music. No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't respond to music. They, they don't respond to vibration. They don't do it. They respond to whatever is best for the plant. And that's it. And they've done studies that uh, back in the 70s, they thought that plants were responding better to rock music. Uh, than they did to anything else and stuff. Subsequent studies have just proven all of that. You know, double blind tests, have, has, it, it just doesn't exist. So keeping that in mind when you're growing this stuff is very important. Whatever is the best for the plant is what the plant is going to do. And that is going to affect its expression because microclimates make all the difference. And I'll use gooey as an example. Uh, I've grown gooey for so long and I've grown her under so many different uh, methods and styles of growing indoor, outdoor, deep water culture, aeroponics, everything I have used over the courses of all this, this, this stuff, uh, enhanced soils, you know, unenhanced soils. It doesn't, you know, all the, every single thing that you do affects a different expression that's buried in that plant that is going to be the best for it. And this is why People say dialing in the plants is so important, and I couldn't agree more. You want to go ahead and dial this stuff in, and the only way to do that is to try different things and see the reaction and get that stuff going. Because I'll tell you right now, there are some people out there that take my stuff, and they can they do amazing things with it that I could never do. I could never do it. They're better at it than me. They're better at growing my pot than I am, and that's fantastic. And that's because They've learned how to dial it in. Yeah, a brilliant sentiment there. And an interesting discussion point about the male-to-female ratios. I'd be interested to hear your opinions. In terms of the more modern polyhybrid strains, do you think there's much you can do to influence the sex ratios or it's pretty set? Mm, you know, <laughs> again, you've got to know the backgrounds. You have to know what's what, how these things are built and what ratios that they were, were used in and and whether they backcrossed it any at all. Uh, backcrossing, it, it has a, a tendency to reinforce background recessives. It doesn't bring them necessarily forward. Um, uh, th that's the thing that people think that they're, they're, they're maybe bringing a recessive and making it dominant by back crossing. And that's not necessarily the case, especially with polyhybrids. You could just be shoving it back into the, into the mix further. Uh, uh, again, the best way to bring about something that is unique and different and, and, and powerful and everything is probably by introducing an unfamiliar genetic that allows the recessives that it's made up from 
to pair and become dominant in there. I keep going back to that, but that's really the crux of it. Luther Burbank, uh, you know, taught us all these basics. And that's what I live by. I live in the same county that Luther Burbank used to live in and did his work in. I mean, this is the sweet spot in the global world. It, it is the one place that he called the best place on earth to, you know, for growing as many different things as possible. And so all that mentality comes back to that kind of thinking. And, and this is where I base everything on. Yeah, look, I, one of the things I remember very vividly from our last discussion is your fondness for Luther Burbank. So that's good to see it's still alive and well. Oh, always for the rest of my life. I mean, the lessons that he teaches are simple, but they're direct and they're fully applicable to any single first time grower on up to the seasoned professional. It's all applicable. And, you know, why, you know, the only other way that you could change things now, and we can get into that if you want, is gene splicing. Uh, they're doing some amazing things with that now, and they're inserting. Uh, turp profiles that you know just never existed in the in nature before and they're doing that kind of thing and um and then even right down to some of my own silly little work with uh silver you know to to do female uh material um which by the way i want to give a little tip to people who are trying to make their own plow silver for uh making females is use just one battery don't use three batteries and the reason is, is because you want those particles to be as small as possible. And the more current you've got flowing, the larger those particles are going to be. And so they're taken up a lot better if you take your time and let it go, say, overnight rather than, you know, a few hours with a, a, a bunch of batteries. Um, I find I've found much better effect uh, in material that doesn't like to do that. Like mom does not like to to change sex, even with the silver, it's very hard to get her to do it. Did it much more readily with a smaller molecule than a, than a larger one. But I use those kind of things in my own work, uh, only to, um, highlight certain, certain traits in a certain particular, um, project per, per se. It's not something that I normally do. Uh, but I will do it in this instance, but I want everybody to be aware in states like let's use California as an example. I couldn't take that. Uh, let's say I used a mom and old Mendo Hayes female that, that I went ahead and forced and I've got female seed. You can't enter that into the, uh, the plant realm in California because it's considered a GMO. So then uh, the state is against GM, GMOs. So, uh, and I understand that to a point. Uh, I, it's, I'm wondering if everything, I, this is something that I don't know. I'm wondering if everything after that, that you go and convert back to normal, you know, regular genetics, whether that's all considered GMO. And it, it, in my mind, it seemed like it would be. So uh, be very careful of that. Um, if you're producing product to go into the system, uh, be aware of that and you know they can figure it out so i mean uh, you got smarter people than me that are dealing with this stuff that's for sure <clears throat> so yeah look it, 
I'd love to talk about that a little bit more because in the past, we've had some guests on who have spoken notably about one company called Molecular Farms. They won the Emerald Cup in, I believe, 2017. And I guess what's interesting about their win is that they've got a few well-known people working for them and it's never been confirmed. But what people hypothesize is that these guys have used maybe CRISPR or something like that to do what you said and to create a very specific TERP profile. And the reason people think this is because it was the first sample ever tested worldwide that had zero myrcene. And people just thought myrcene is one of the base terpenes. It's, it, people just sort of thought it has to be in everything to an extent. Would you agree with that, that if it's not there, they probably did do something on the molecular level or not necessarily? Oh, you know, nature's pretty freaky. <laughs> you know, it, you can come up with some really interesting phenotypes that you know, I, I I can see something naturally skipping a, a component. Uh, whether they did that, uh, there's no way to tell. I mean, there's really no way for me to tell. I mean, I can't sit here and say, well, sure, they did that. That's the only way that could happen because, no, that's not true. Uh, uh, but by the same token, yeah, it does seem a little suspicious. I have to say that. But beyond that what they should just be quizzed on their methodology and, and finding out you know how, how it is that they specifically did that if it's a trade secret that only muddies the waters more doesn't it that's exactly the opposite of what i'm doing here exactly the opposite and i'll tell you right now if you take like you know some of the, the hybrids that and and you, that i made and you put them up against something that's been designed turp wise i'll bet you they're damn close just from selective breeding. I'll bet you they're damn close. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think you can do – the lesson from that is, is I think you can do it the natural right way. You just need to invest the time, effort, and, and be as picky as all hell. Yeah, I think that's the other like sort of alternative theory. I, I guess the follow-up question to that is let, let's say that they had made some sort of genetically modified line like that. Uh, on face value, you might sort of think, well, who cares? Um, but the, people have raised their concerns that what if there was the potential for this to sort of be like um, like the strain hunters thing where like this plant pollinates other plants and then all of a sudden plants are losing their ability to express myrcene. Do you think that's a reasonable fear or it's maybe a bit far-fetched? Why not? Why not? You, has anybody done any tests on these plants to see if that's a trait that gets passed on or if that's genetically only set in the seed that's developed on the F1? You know, it, 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 and if that's, you know, again, method, you don't know their methodology. That's the missing link to that whole thing. So none of these questions could be answered without knowing first what their methodology is. If they stick to straight selection, then, you know, and if that's true, then, yeah, it's possible. You know, it's possible. Anything is possible. I mean, you you can have plants that are completely devoid of chlorophyll, you know, in nature. You know, I mean, that's chlorophyll is a natural component that's always there. Well, you know, that's not true. And then you, then you, when you look at stuff like the old colchizine treatments and stuff, I think we talked about that last time where, you know, you're stopping the – the division at the point of mitosis and you have double sets of chromosomes and, you know, uh, uh, all of that stuff, nature takes care of and it, it, it will fix that kind of thing. So subsequent breedings and stuff will tell the tale as to whether those 
components have been set as a trait expression or not. And my guess is, is that if it's been manipulated naturally without intervention further, it's going to come back into normal um, because the plant will fix that. These genetics are a lot older than we are, you know? Yeah. So I just wanted to quickly loop back to the microbreeding for two seconds because I've got two questions that I think will help the listeners a bit. The first one is when you do your little, you know, your test selection that you just showed us shortly ago, are you initiating flower from seed, like just going straight into 12-12? No, no, generally I'm letting them get a little bit bigger only because um, there is a, a period that I believe, and I don't know if this is fact or not, but it seems to be the case with what many of the things I've made over the years, is, is that plants really need to be about two months old in order to be able to fully express everything that they're going to do. But the ones that like the ones I showed you there, they were just put into this, into the grouping and they had about a week's worth of growth. And then they went into flower. Um, and that was just natural flower. A lot of times it's done in a more controlled environment. These little tests like this are really more just to see what's there and not to, for real work like that one was just a, a very super small example of what it would normally be. Normally they'd be large trays all under artificial lights that can be controlled with soil only uh, and, and cow shit. No, uh, I don't, I don't like to use any uh, chemicals and I'll tell you why um, it, it changes the expression and I can't tell what the plants genetically is doing if I'm changing its expression goes back to the environment you know the environment affects everything you do so when i'm looking for trade expression i want to be as basic as possible and generic as possible everything gets the same light everything gets the same water everything gets the same soil and air okay show me what you have so that's what i use and how i do it and i urge breeders when they're if they're doing breeding and they're doing testing Use pots. You have to use pots. You can't put them in the soil because there's too much variable. You can't put it in hydroponics because then all of a sudden you're manipulating the environment beyond what it's naturally going to be. You're not witnessing uptake correctly. You're not metabolizing correctly. All these things are changed. So in pots with soil and cow shit, tell you everything you need to know for a test of the genetics. And I really urge breeders to do that for a, a number of reasons. One, you know, it, pots, you can go ahead and move. If there's a, if there's a, 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 let's say a rain event outside and you're right in the last throes of it, you can move the pots. If they're in the ground, you can't move them. You can only cover them. Covering them changes things, you know, it creates molds and, possible powdery mildew and it, it invites you know more things to live underneath it and be protected with the plants and so that's all of that stuff is affected by it so if you put them in pots and you put them everything gets the same treatment if they have to go inside because of a weather event they all go in together and so everything's experiencing the same thing and you're going to get the truest expression and know exactly what you're getting naturally that you can do your work from from there and that's how i do it and when you find something that excites you and passes the tests 
do you try to reveg it or you just pop more seeds and start from there? No, I reveg that plant. No, I, I don't need to pop more seeds. I already, I've already done that and I've already seen it spread. I've already made the selection. Now I want to see what that plant is going to do in the next phase, which is production, you know, full size plant, what its structure is like, how it responds to different stimuli. So I won't, I'll take, I'll reveg that. I'll grow a number of the same plants and then they go under different sets of, of growing methods so that I can see which one is optimum and what they do under each set. That way I can speak to you intelligently when you ask me a question about X doing this with this, what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen under that scenario. And I can speak intelligently about it. If you're not doing that as a breeder, you're disservicing your clientele and people on the seed buying in need to demand more of their breeders. They need to demand more accountability because there's too many genetics out there that are trash genetics that show Hermes in the second and third generations and they just bomb uh, or, or they pass on horrible traits. Uh, it just goes on and on. I, I can sit here and list shit all day long and I'm not going to do that. We need to get past that. And that's up to you as a breeder to correct and do deal with and the ones and everybody says, Oh, well, I can't do that. Look at how many, look at your competition. Look at how many people you're dealing with out there now as seed breeders that I, look, think about me. I have been all of my life dealing with an increasingly growing number of people getting into this business that I love so much and muddying the waters so thoroughly and I'm seeing it happen and they're making money hand over fist while I'm sitting there trying to do the right thing. Then it comes back to bite them in the ass. And I, I don't know how many times there's been great seed companies that are gone now. See ya. Look at how long I've been around. And there's a reason is I'm a picky bastard. That's why, that's why I'm still here because I'm a picky bastard. I'm an old crotchety fuck. And I like to think I know what I've experienced in life is the right thing. Look, you got my backing. Just as a quick follow-up, revegging is still a, a conversation and a subject area which is surprisingly um, sparse with information. I would love to hear. Do you have any tips or tricks for our listeners about how you revegging? Yeah, revegging is simple. Revegging is absolutely simple. The problem that people do with revegging is they don't leave enough material on the plant. They don't leave enough material. Give If it's a special plant, is that little bitty bud that's down there on the bottom worth anything to you as far as in a bowl where it's going to be gone? Or is it going to be worth it to you to reveg it and have the plant spring from that, which I will post some, I'll, I have some pictures of, of a few things that I've revegged throughout the year. Uh, that I can show what the effect is with the plant. Uh, and I will post those up on Instagram uh, to show people how stuff looks when it's, it's done. And what I do is I normally reap, <laughs> I dig up the plant if it's in the ground. If I have a ground plant and I want to keep it, I dig it up and I give it some B1 and I put new soil around it and I water the shit out of it. And I leave enough green on there for it. And then I move it inside under 20 hours minimum of life. And I don't like to use uh, high-intensity discharge lights for this. 
I like to use cool white fluorescent bulbs. And there's a reason for that. It's 70% uh, blue, 30% red, and it produces, you've already got a root system, so it doesn't need the red so much. It needs the blue to be able to leaf out. And it those will happen much faster because they don't produce a lot of heat. So you can have the plants close to it and just go for it. And you put it under 20 hours of light minimum. And we'll get to that in a second because like gooey is a real problem. Um, gooey was under 24 hours of light for decades. And so anytime now you drop gooey anything below <laughs> without working it and really being very careful and letting it go down in increments that are very small, uh, she'll just flower, boom, because she's 38 years old. She's tired. It's time. Is it, is it time to flower now? <laughs> that's, that's what she's thinking all the time. So there's a, there's a, I always tell people that because when you're re-vegging and you're using a, a 24 or a 20 hour, at some point you want to work it back to a normal light cycle that you can then move a plant outside if you want to without it going off and flowering right away. So there's something stuff to think about when you're doing re-vegging, but that's the fastest way to re-veg a plant is just to do exactly what I said, a little B1, a little nitrogen. You want to give it a little nitrogen. You know, if you want to, uh, I, I just use ammonia nitrate and just go ahead and I just water a little bit of that in because everything else is in the fresh soil that it's going to need for regenerating you just want to promote that leaf growth and get it going so i will post up pictures of that that show just how easy that is and you can do it at any stage i have saved gooey once by i had harvested plants and not realized that i didn't have any gooey mom left and i just had buds and i took a bud and i cut it and i put it in under the 24-hour light in a glass of water and i kept changing the water and doing it and i regenerated that bud and got gooey mom back after you know almost losing her one year early way early on so you can do anything with this stuff it just takes diligence and vigilance and a little bit of love and caring and just giving the plant what it wants in order for it because the plant wants to live trust me it doesn't want to die you know, so it's going to try and do everything it can to live. So all you just got to do is make that happen. And that's the best way to do it. That's an incredible story. I've got to ask, Gooey might be the oldest clone in terms of like its its actual age that I'm aware of. In all those years, have people, people sometimes talk about like plants deteriorating over time. Have you ever seen anything like that? No. And I, I, I've, I've talked about this before. Um, I don't believe that you can live long enough to experience degradation and genetics uh, from environmental. Uh, I, I just don't believe that that's, I've never seen that. What I have always seen and what I do believe happens is microclimates affecting expression and people are noticing those differences. The soil may be different. The air may be different. The um, uh, more moist or less moist. You know, if you've just got too moist of, a, of an environment, resin is suppressed, you know, uh, you're, you're, because the plant doesn't want to mold. So it's going to try and increase airflow. Think of everything in terms of what the plant is trying to do. And the plant is always trying to reproduce. That's its thing. And it wants to make as many of the little babies as it can. And so 
you know, everything goes back to that. It really does. And so degradation of genetics, uh, most people are of the common belief that um, radiation, you know, is what degrades genetics over a period of time. Uh, That and the the ends of the chromosomes, of course, becoming small. Well, when you take a cutting of a plant, it's as old as that plant is in what the plant knows its life. And I I always tell people like gooey, gooey just thinks it's been one long day. And so I can take gooey and I can grow her in any different of these different scenarios and reproduce exactly what I got all those years ago with the right environment. And I've always said my favorite gooey is rock wool slabs, general hydroponics nutrients under a high, uh, a, a metal halide light. That's the favorite flavor and favorite expression that I like of the mom gooey and other expressions come out and they would, they may be deemed as genetic degradations, you know, because they're not optimum for what, you know, that target is, you know? And so that's what people are experiencing. I think you'd have to live several hundred years with the, and you know, there are tomatoes, let's say back from Roman times that are still, this is 140 year old tomato plants uh, that have been kept alive and have been doing for a very long time, not Roman times, but they come from Roman genetics, um, Roman apples, as they were called um, that, you know, they haven't degraded and they're those, those stocks are 140 years old. So, uh, this, this, uh, this notion, I, I think is, uh, I think a lot of times it can be, um, something that explains poor breeding and, and masks poor breeding. Uh, it masks poor growing, it masks changes, all these different things are what people are, I believe, truly experiencing, and they're not experiencing genetic degradation. Yeah, that's that's very interesting to hear. And I mean, you spoke about making some babies in there. I just wanted to loop back for a moment. You you actually mentioned you were making some feminized seeds, and you got me curious. What was it that stimulated you to look into this a bit more than you had in the past? Well, it's it's only my own. It's strictly really for my own use. I would give whatever. I have left over away. And one of the things that uh, I did notice is that I think I introduced a plant that I hadn't rinsed fully and let kept segregated enough before it shed some other pollen that was actually the father of the black raptor uh, got into that mix. And so I would never ever sell those seeds as a result because you may get a purple male out of there that, you know, or, or, a purple female that that doesn't belong in that set and uh, uh otherwise the reason i made that is basically to target certain traits which worked out wonderfully that i can do some specific work with mom um dark desire and old mendo haze for some refinement portions of some very targeted aspects of the traits that I want to see for those lines. And then I'm going to go back and turn them back into regular seed. And those I will 
make available to folks to use, but they will have very much highlighted traits that the people really kind of concentrate on when they experience them the most. I want to bring those out even more. And this is just a, a cheat sheet, fast way of genetically doing that. It's a cheater's way of, of doing it. And it doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't color any genetics. It doesn't, it's just a fast cheating way of, of eliminating half the gene pool so that I don't have to deal with it. Ooh, my internet connection is unstable. It says. I wonder what's going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can still hear you great. So, so that's that's good to know. I was interested in asking you. You you obviously mentioned how you make your own colloidal silver solution. Have you ever trialed STS or any preferences, or it's just what you chose and it works? No, it's just because I could do it myself and I didn't have to deal with anything. So that it was just the quickest way that I can, con again, I'm a control freak as far as that goes. I want to be able to be in control of all that. And that's just the easiest, fastest one to use to come up with this. And it doesn't genetically shift anything. People have said that it genetically shifts things. I think that what they're seeing is recessives that are being made dominant by um introducing the gene sets that are available to the plant and a recessive and a recessive are, are mixing in to become a dominant. And one of those dominants is hermaphrodism. So, you know, I think that that's what they're seeing is expressions of that. And they're saying that it's changing the genetics when no, it's not changing the genetics because the silvers are just uh, man, uh, hormonal manipulators is all they are. They're, they're overwhelming the system, the female system and, fooling it with a, a male component so that it just grows male. So, you know, that's, that's a, a simple, just a science thing, you know, it's just, yeah, <laughs> that's the reason I use it is just because I can control it. No, I, I can totally understand that one. And just out of curiosity, when I was doing some research for our discussion today, I, I was reading various forum posts and it seems like people are still just absolutely dying to try the NorCal GUI themselves. I'm wondering, do you think an S1 would be too recessively dominant to give them that? Or is that something they might be able to get in the future? You know, uh, just with the tests and stuff, I still find that it fragments. Uh, and it goes off into the, into, in, more into the individuals than one would think. Um, I don't, it's not as collective of a thing. The, that's kind of the reason why I went with the, the S1 for the cubing pure GUI and going back to it because I can control that and, and keep the mix from, from breaking apart. Um, and that's all just back to selection. So, uh, you know, I'm working on another set of, of pure GUI uh, in a different fashion. Uh, I want some aspects of it that I used to really love about the individuals, especially the Vietnamese and the Thai. I want to bring those forward more. And so I've been kind of working with that mindset. And people have known this. I've been kind of leaning towards um, a, a much more far east expression than i've gotten in gooey's pure gooey's from the past because they tend to you know carry on some of that s1 um in their flavor in the smoke uh it, it's not bad by any means it's just not what i'm tuned into getting so i'm now working on a different pure gooey that it might take a little longer to produce but i think it's going to uh get a better result and we're in the midst of um a huge project here in Northern California, 
with a large uh, grow a legal grow operation that's coming into to being and one of the aspects that that's going to be is to be able to open up the exotic cuts um, the exotic cuts has been uh, something that I've been telling people about for years but we've been stalled because of permitting and all these other things but people will actually be able to get mom and old Mendo Hayes and dark desire and all of the stuff that I've been working on and that were are the classics of my lines, they will be able to get those plants when that opens up. So we're actively, we're, we're, we're just waiting on the counties to do their thing and get us open because I have a tendency to believe that what I want to do is uh, offer those genetics uh, to both home growers and to professionals to be able to uh, use in their arsenals of growing and uh, so that everybody's going to be able to have a chance to experience by that time, maybe a 40-year-old 40 40 year plant. Yeah, I, I did the math and I was like, I think sometime next, late next year might be the 40-year mark. Is that right? Yeah, it's, no, uh, it will be, let's see. This, this, right around this time right now, uh, it's going, it was 38 years. And so it's about two more years to go, I would say, before it gets to 40. But it's... Uh, it's been an amazing journey with her. I, I just love that plant. I really do. I just love it because it's so versatile. Uh, it, 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 the only thing that I would say that I don't like about it is that it's so thick and it's so heavy producing and the leaves kind of tend to be easy to exaggerate. If you feed just a little bit too much nitrogen, you'll get a lot of heavy, uh, heavier than normal leaf growth uh in in some of the uh, flowers but everything everything i've seen 13 foot tall plants that have colas this big on top and they're as big as your leg and thigh on the bottom just huge buds just huge a lot of growers don't like that they don't want that it's too much work it's too much it, it, it's it's uh there's too much trimming to deal with and all that stuff. And these are the kind of things that, you know, the public would love to have it, but it's maybe not perfectly practical for an industrial setting. So, you know, I kind of tend to think Gooey is going to be situated as a homegrown uh, um, plant that I think people can just enjoy. And we're going to, we're probably going to market it towards that, you know, to where the home user and the, the small plant grower you know, maximizes their benefit by getting that. And then it's always gravy on the top to have something that old that's been around and you've heard about and seen and, and you've, you know, only wish you could try. I want that for everybody. I really do. Even if I have to do it for free, I want it for everybody somehow. Yeah. Look, you're, you're a mind reader when you brought up the exotic cuts program. I was going to ask you about that, but you did it for me. But the follow-up I had for that is we see recently breeders are commonly partnering up with uh, bigger facilities to run larger numbers or to run their select pheno at a big volume so the masses can really experience like what you're describing. And I guess my question is, if you had a big facility come to you and say, hey, we want to grow something that's unique, but it's still going to have some appeal to the general masses to sort of the hype market. Is there anything that you think would fit that bill pretty nicely? Oh, yeah. Oh, I have several that are 
are tuned in just for that. And that's exactly what these people that I've teamed up with are doing. This is a full nursery uh, uh, size unit with, with 10,000 square foot um, grow rooms. Uh, we're talking a very industrial size um, outfit and they want to use my genetics because they can have an inroad into uh, the dispensaries and stuff with something that isn't available any other way. And this stuff is showy and pretty. And plus we're trying to, in this County, we're trying to um, get um, the tourism aspect of it going. And you've seen my work with the Pinkleberry that's geared towards that aspect because I want to have, you know, fields that are showy and beautiful and ph photographic ready for the masses to be able to look at. And it doesn't hurt that those plants are also tasty, flavorful, and strong. So um, this is the kind of the mindset that we're going for. Because again, we want to benefit this community. We want this community to, to uh, draw attention like no other. And we kind of feel like we've got a unique set to be able to do that and offer. And uh, that's just one aspect of it. But boy, you know, designing those plants, I have the exact thing in mind. I want to look at a field of those and see nothing but dark purple plants with beautiful effervescent fluorescent uh, magenta uh, pistols. And then the um, water leaves all turn a bright orange, yellow, bright orange, and it'll make it look like there's a field of fire and just gorgeous absolutely gorgeous and this is what i'm fashioning these lines to do is specifically that so that they are photo ready and yeah i've already built in all the other stuff the flavor and all the other stuff so that it's a marketable product on top of that but there's always holes to fill and we can do better and we're continuing to go in that direction so that's what all this is for I love it. A brilliant approach. I had noticed on your Instagram, you'd been posting some photos over the past few months of a strain you're calling American Sunshine. And the thing which really caught me about that one was that you say it's got like a vanilla profile to it, which is quite an underrepresented sort of terpene profile. How would you describe it? And do you think it might get quite popular? Oh, well, I'm, I'm actually breeding with it. There's two uh, females, one purple and one uh green i'll post them up on instagram as to what they look like at the moment because uh, uh they're just finishing up for the, those those runs right now but the profiles of the of the vanilla tend to fade away after week nine but before week nine they uh you're getting this distinct i mean, i actually said here to, to I, I think it was north star who mentioned it um, I said, what do you get off of this? Because I already had vanilla in mind. He says, oh, it smells vanilla. Oh, perfect. There you go. That's exactly because I hadn't heard of a vanilla one before and I haven't really come across anything like that. But it's the first thing that comes to mind when I smell, especially the green one. The, the, the purple one is a little bit more spicy in the back because of the, the components that it has from the colors. Um, but I can steer it back over and I, I will do that. And that's what I'm working on now is to get those into some very dependable vanilla flavors. Because then you mix that with a nice coffee variety and you've got a latte. <laughs> <laughs>
I was funny you mentioned that. I was curious to ask you because you got such experience with sort of creating these new flavor profiles. I remember that you know the late Subcool, rest in peace, uh, often described creating strains and he would say if you got one that's chocolate and one that's vanilla you combine them together you got a latte something like that would you say that you sort of agree with that sort of mindset or do you think it's unexpected no it's it's this it's the clock is wrong a broken clock is right twice a day kind of a syndrome that and i used to tell sub that this is that you know you can go ahead and you can have these different expressions and unless you lock that down and that's the purpose of going ahead and revenging plants you you've got to be able to lock that down well if it's present and pronounced in the phenotype that you're dealing with you've already got half of it going you just need to make that a set a set thing and that's not hard if you're using other genetics that you use to create this to go ahead and reset that dominant into and to keep it dominant you want to be able to do that. And I use the same things where that came from, but that means you got to know your backgrounds of your stuff. It all comes back to the same things that are these basics that I tell people all the time. And they, they look for these complicated methods and how they do these things. It's simple selection and being picky, period, end of subject. I can do anything I want with a given set of genetics if it has something that I want to make it come forward and it, anybody else can do the same damn thing. You just got to put the work in. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. We had a, an interesting question submitted by one of our listeners and I think it was sort of inspired by our first discussion and it seems like they, they really took on board the point you made about how, you know, you, you can take a certain trait you like from this plant and improve it or bring it to another cross. And what they were sort of wondering is, let's just say I've got like four base plants and I like certain things about each of them and I want to sort of ultimately lead it into one end strain where I'm incorporating the things I like about each into one thing. Do you think that it's practically possible for someone to do that or logistically it would just require a lot of work? It require, it's going to require a lot of work. You're, it, it, if you're willing to do the work, then you've got to have multiple plants of the, set, of the same plant that you can use to work with and do your, 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 your R&D with and you've got to just go through it. To me, and that's why I always tell people, when you're beginning and when you're when you're not as sure about your genetic stock, concentrate on one trait. Don't concentrate on anything else. This is again what you're describing is what I was telling you about. Ooh, this little plant is prettier, and I can save this for another project. No, that's you're that's getting that's you getting in your own way. And so I always tell people it's better to focus on one thing, get it locked down, then move to the next thing. If you want to work on four plants, that's great. Save copies of the other three, work on the one, get it right, then move to the next one. Because you're going to be a lot more efficient, you're going to get a lot more done, and you're going to do it in a lot shorter time than if you're trying to fuck around with four plants, four different expressions, and you're trying to stabilize each one of those expressions in a line. Now I do it because I'm, you know, I know my shit backwards and forwards as far as my genetics that I'm working with. I know those genetics. Most people don't have that luxury. Plus, 
They're working with a lot of polyhybrids in this industry that are, you don't know what they're made of. People can say it's made of something when it's totally different or that's what they were told it was, you know, and it, and it isn't at all. So it's better to do the work yourself. And I always feel it's better to concentrate on smaller chunks and get it right. It's like when you're cleaning your house. If your house is totally fucked up and totally needs cleaning and you get overwhelmed looking at this whole house not clean, stop. Go over to this three-foot little area and clean it. That's your task for the day. Next day, the three foot next to it and so on and so forth before you know it your house is clean you hadn't suffered any and it's done perfectly same thing brilliant analogy just keeping it simple i like that and another one of our uh, listeners submitted questions was how many seeds do you like to pop of one of your own lines before you feel satisfied you have a good idea of what's inside it well, if it's a, it's been a refined, targeted line, I, I, you know, I can get away with a dozen. You know, it'll show me the, uh, it'll show me the spread of basically everything that's in there. You might get these recessive oddballs here and there, but you know, they, they aren't going to be something that expresses as readily as those other eleven. You know, they're they're going to sh- it's going to show. So I, I I just I tend to think that now. If you're doing R and D lines, oh, six, seven hundred seeds. You know, I'm serious, really. I, and people, people laugh and they say, "How do you do that?" Well, you know, when you're growing little tiny plants, it's not as much. It's it, it's a lot easier than you think. And half of those are going to go away as males anyway. You know, and I don't chase males. I never chase males. I and I always advocate that people don't chase males. You know, males are a tool. The females are what you chase and the females are what you refine and you everything is done to refine that female. Don't chase males. Period. So what sort of guiding principles do you use when selecting a male? Do you find the female that has the qualities you want and then try to find the male that matches up to it? It all goes back to what it is that I'm trying to do. You know, am I trying to color it? Okay, does that male show color dependably? Is it going to pass it on? Does it come from a color line that has color already built in or is the color recessive and only showing in that one phenotype it all goes back to targeted results as far as what you want to do and how you want it to be expressed that that's all you choosing and knowing the background and using that background like that yeah so I believe you're currently working on an old Mendo Hayes back cross and I had me wondering what traits about the old Mendo Hayes do you really like and which do you think could maybe be improved a little? Well, I already did that. <laughs> that, that cross fixed that. But the, the Mendo Hayes has a, had a hell of a stretch to it. And I didn't like all that elongation. So I kind of kept the elongation because it was easier to, to fill the empty spaces than it was to uh, stop the elongation. Um, so I took the easy path in that direction. So you get big plants that are sativa base and the, there's a lot less, um, stem, you know, a lot more fuller flowers, larger flowers, the flower size is increased. Um, there is a marker that I use, which was the, the dark desire as a color marker. So with it, when I was cubing that I was steering away from that color marker 
And then Gooey is in there also because of the resin expression, but she's in the back end um, with, um, uh, and that was used with a uh, pure Gooey was used for that, not mom Gooey. So it was the, uh, um, the male that I did that for only to increase the resin size on there, which indeed it, it, I, and I can again show people on Instagram. I wish I had examples right here that I could bring up because I have examples of all this stuff where I can show you the difference between the, uh, the old Mendo Hayes mother and the improved version and what it does and how much better it is as far as a overall grower experience from that point. But it still has the bright, overwhelmingly bright flavors. The 24% minimum THC is still there. Um, it, all those familiar flavors that I talk about when I when I, I take it with the lime and the vodka, those are very pronounced and everything is there. It's just a fuller plant that produces better bud and bigger bud and has, you know, it's cleaner. So, it, you know, it's more refined is basically is all that is. But then there's the color marker in there just for my own work. But, eh, you know, if someone were to cross it with a, a recessive color, all of a sudden they'd get kids that are all kinds of different colors. And that'd be, that's always a fun surprise. You know, it's not a, it's, it's, it's a, like a little genetic time bomb, but it's a good one, not a bad one. Like Hermes, you know, that kind of thing. Very nice. And I mean, I ran one of Subcool's breeding theories by you. And so I'd love to run one of DJ Short's by you, which is he always spoke about he liked to have the more sativa of the two plants in the cross being the female. He never really explained why that was. Have you ever found anything like that or got any thoughts? Uh, you know, again, I think it's more uh, strain specific in that instance. But I mean, yeah, if you're dealing with hy hybrids and stuff, I, I tend to lean towards the sativas myself only because, one, they're bigger. Uh, they tend to be fuller, you know, uh, with a lot better production. Uh, and I, I, I just like the high better as far as that goes. It, it's a brighter, more pronounced kind of high that fits my personality. And, and that's the thing. Uh, that's all very person-specific stuff that you're talking about there. He, somebody who else who tries that may go and uh, go for the indica side because it, that's what they favor and their brain craves kind of thing. So it, 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 it all comes back to me is to, I want everybody to have the choice. I want you to be able to choose what's best for you. And so, yeah, I, I, I like to have a, a, a spread on the things that I do for breeders. I like to have that spread. I myself choose the sativa sides more, but you know me, I'm a Thai, Vietnamese, Colombian, you know, I'm old school, Mexico. I like those. I, I just have fond memories of them. And I just feel like they're more efficient at giving me the type of high that I'm looking for. I'm not into sedative. Yeah. You know, I'm into, ooh, you know, euphoric and, and psychoactive. I, those are the kind of highs I like. I like clean. I like to be able to to like go go to Hawaii, smoke a nice sativa bowl, and then go out and enjoy the day. Not sit there on the beach and veg and bake in the sand and get a sunburn. Yeah, here, here. I can agree with that. One other thing which just came to mind when you were talking about that is DJ Short commented, and it's very much a personal thing. He said, oh, yeah, I really like smoking flour that's been seeded. I feel like there's some sort of slight changes in seeded bud versus sensi. Well, there is. Yeah. Uh, do you sure. fall into that category or not really? No, I don't. I, I don't like smoking the flowers. To me, it gets harsh and, 
And it's just, you know, I don't like it. I don't like it because again, what happens when it's making seed is the plant stops THC production and what THC is available there goes into post THC products and you're getting a lot of the, of the degraded THC. And that's probably what he likes about it is that, that CBN kind of a feel that, that settling, that, that heaviness, that sedativeness, that, uh, it's great for pain kind of thing. Uh, um, yeah, I can see that as being something that would be present in seeded pot. And I remember plenty of seeded brickweed from back in the day that was just thicker than shit as far as a, a high goes, you know, ugh. and that's all to me is just degraded resin is what that is. So if you like that kind of high, let your plants sit around. What's what they do in, in, in the hash making uh, regions of the world is in the, especially in the poorer regions, they'll just pile the plants in the corner and let them sit for six months and then they make the hash out of that and the hash is very sedative very heavy you can feel it a lot in the body and that's all from sitting around and, and just being exposed and oxidizing you know that kind of thing so it really kind of depends on what your tastes are and where you're going for but yeah degraded resin uh, has never been my i don't really care for it as much as i like the bright newer resin i'm always a new plant kind of a guy but i think that's kind of my thing from growing so much and having samples all the time i've just gotten into that that rail of fresh smoke all the time because it never ends i mean there's not a day that goes by that there isn't something fresh and new that i've never tried before that goes into my lungs so you know i i speak from that perspective Certainly. And I mean, if we're on the other end of the spectrum of short flowering things, you mentioned at the start that you, you have a number of lines that are quite quick and, you know, the gooey can be harvested reasonably early. I guess my question is, do you think there's such a thing as too short of a flowering time in the sense that if I came to you and said, hey, I got this line for ready in 35 days, people say, oh, yeah, but like the high probably won't last that long or something like that. Do you think that's true or do you think you can get great high at a very short flower time? Yeah. You bet. If you can trim it down that much, you bet. And it's a little, that's a really short, but you know, that's almost just going off of auto flowering kind of stuff that, uh, yeah, I, I have some reservations uh, myself, but that's, there's nothing that says that you can't have full product in a short period of time. Nothing. There's just no reason for it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, you, there is a, the only thing that I can say in that that conflicts with that is my two month rule for plants is that if you want to see a full expression, you need two months. I equate that as the same thing as a prepubescent girl being able to get pregnant versus one that's gone into puberty. She's just not ready yet. You know, and she just is not able to conceive yet at that age. Then she goes and gets old enough. Boom. She's mature and she can reproduce. It's the same kind of thing. I think that the genetics set up and are able to establish themselves and express themselves more completely in a slightly older plant. So you've got, and that's why I, when I microbreed, if I'm going really fast and I'm taking things really quick and they're not maybe quite two months, that's the whole purpose of having a secondary growth set, you know, as a test, nothing is set in stone when I picked that plant the first time, it's just gone down to the next stage is all. 
you know, there's still a lot of evaluation and a lot of rejects that come off of that. People look at the rejects that I do and they go, well, geez, that's really nice. Why are you rejecting that? Sorry, didn't hit the mark for that. It's out of here. Next. Because life's too short to mess around with crappy genetics. And you just you just raised a topic that you got some reservations around autos. Would you be able to tell us what they might be? What do you mean? Well, like, would we ever see a, a GUI auto project in the works or is it just not something you're interested in? Uh, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I don't know. I, I, see, I'm so busy just doing what I'm doing, that, and I've got so many irons in the fire with the, all of the stuff like this now. Adding more stuff is just, I don't know. It's always a possibility, I guess. You know, I haven't considered it myself as far as uh, a separate project goal thing to do. Uh, I do. Uh, I do want to be able to bring the brand around. I think that's my main focus right now is to bring the brand around to the public to they're only just now kind of really fully getting that it's different and that it's not the same and people are hearing stuff about it. And that's the really the main focus of my, all my attentions these last few years is kind of getting that because I think it's good for the public. I think, and, and so my heart and my efforts are really concentrating on that. Yeah, totally understandable. You mentioned earlier the the Black Platinum Society is somewhere where you get some high quality genetics from. I was wondering. No, no, no. Black Platinum Society is mine, and people get their genetics from me to use in their lines. Some of the most famous breeders that I'm not allowed to mention because that's part of the Black Platinum's uh, society's. Uh, rules are that you know we don't discuss but one of the other rules is that those they can use those genetics as their own and pr- they don't have to promote them in with uh my company or anything like that and i always tell them it might be a good idea to tell people that they come from these genetics because it just incites more interest in that that genre or that that area you know that the that uniqueness and stuff and that would draw more people in to that just by virtue of that but it's not a requisite and so no that's something that uh i i i over the years i've invited you know professional breeders and whether they want to go ahead and do it most of them approach me and then we go ahead and talk and if it's all right then i go ahead and i invite them in but uh, no those are that's something that comes from me and goes out not other ways coming in Sure. Yeah. My mistake on that one. I guess my question I'm hoping is still going to be just as relevant in that I'm wondering, you know, you've obviously got a very reputable collection of genetics. Do you ever keep your eye out for new land races coming out in the sense that there are guys like Indian Land Race Exchange and stuff like that who are doing these trips and trying to source it? Do you keep your finger on that pulse at all? No, I don't. And and the reason I don't is because of the same thing I've always said. They're doing that, and that's their 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 selling point. That I don't want to mix my genetics in with that. What I want to do is I want to take raw genetics, whatever's left in the world, which is we've I've, as we've talked before. You know, the gene pool is shrinking 
ever and ever more. But, you know, you can still find these little enclaves of, of areas where you can get lander stuff that's been bred by small farmers in very remote areas. And you can bring that stuff forward and use that. And that's where my focus has been. I have a friend who's a um, producer in Hollywood and he um, also goes around and does stock footage filming for um, the, you know, the various industry, you know, that he, he does stock footage, you know? So um, in his travels, he goes around and he's the one that got me the African He's gotten me some Jamaican material before that was very old. And, and this is the kind of stuff that he does. He goes and he searches out these areas to film. And it happens across these growers, talks to them, gets their confidence, and then sends me the, the material to use. And I've had great success with it that way. And I think that that just, again, brings more diversity into this field and allows more uh, customer uh, advantage. I think customer advantage is everything. And I think the only way to do it is to get new stuff. And that, that gene pool is shrinking. What's fun is, is that I, all my old stuff is that. It's all old stuff. And, and, and since I've kept it separate, it's available for folks to enjoy. And that's what's fun to me. I really find that I find that I find that so much fun because I know how it was when I was a kid experiencing these new things for the first time. And I just want to bring that pleasure to people. And I don't think you can do it by mixing, even no matter how Landersy and everything are, that's somebody else. Let them benefit from that. Let them benefit from that niche and enjoy that, which they've worked very hard for. You know, now you, if somebody wants to take their material and then they, take some of my material and they blend them together and they come up with something unique for themselves. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. I remember uh, seeing on your Instagram, you had mentioned that the Hawaiian blush mother, really special plant and something you were hoping to touch on. I was wondering what about it makes it so special to you? Oh, the blush. Yeah. The blush is, is actually a combination of a couple of different things. And it, it comes from, a, there's an old family in Hawaii that had some quote unquote Hawaiian varieties that they kept to themselves and only used for themselves. And I got some of their work. It's a composite still of old island strains, I believe, because I can see a couple of different things in it. But um, it, it is, it is, harkens back to the older Hawaiians with those very unique Eastern flavors uh, and, and that bright effervescent kind of a feel that you get when you smoke uh, a good Hawaiian for the first time where it kind of grows and feels almost bubbly and effervescent. You know, it really is uh, that, that kind of a feel very uh, alive, awake, um, no suppression and mood, but very almost psychoactive, you know, just very, for a younger person that doesn't have as much THC in their system as someone like me, it could be very psychoactive and very pleasurable. And so uh, using that line that they gave me to be able to do that, um, I mixed it with, oh, what did I mix it with? It was a color marker that I used and I don't think it had a name. But the color marker would go back to Zin, 
the Zin would be the, and that's a very grapey kind of thing. And I used to like to use that for a, a lot of, of the flavor components that it had. And I think that, that I think the Zin, I haven't had my notes with me. I should have got my notes, but um, yeah, it, 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 it's a Zin cross. And I do believe it was Zin times um, Kona Sunset cross with Zin. And that's, and that's why it was Hawaiian blush because the, the Hawaiian material that was the, the male that I used with it was crossed into that female uh, of the blend. And then that's where the Hawaiian blush came from. It's a pretty plant. It's really pretty. I actually revenged that and say that I seeded the shit out of it. And then I, I revenged it <laughs> just so that I could grow it again. Cause it, it, you know, I see these dark purples and stuff all the time that I do. And you just kind of get, yeah, tired of them and then you see something that has a nice red hue to it like the reds that i've used uh, uh i've been trying to develop it's uh those are just exciting to me they're new and different and showy and big plants look really whoa you know wow uh, and i'm into that i'm into into it it being a display i always wanted to come up with a, a landscaping company that would tailor different pots for different areas in your yard you could have edges and you could have tall wispy things and it would just be a beautiful yard i always wanted to do that but i got too many other things to do (laughs) (laughs) you know convert them to perennials well you know that would be nice wouldn't it that would be nice yeah well that's what everybody always says good gooey you know how can you make an annual but a perennial well you (laughs) just control it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go. And I mean, while we're on the topic of Hawaii, one of our Patreon listeners would love to know if you could tell us a little bit more about your connection to Hawaii and if there are any specific Hawaiian genetics you feel really drawn to. Oh, I've always liked the, uh, the Big Island material. Uh, Big Island material always had the most punch to me. The Maui's were cute and bright and uh, nice, and the, the Kauai electrics were always uh, really amazing materials uh but i don't know the big island always had the punch to it that really set it apart so that kona's the kona's i was gifted were another old strain that has been kept on that island for all these years and it's really resistant to mold and it grew big and has flavorful colas and the punches there i just really enjoyed the kona more than i really probably enjoy anything else from Hawaii. Interesting. And I mean, do you have any specific history with Hawaii or it's just somewhere you really like? No, actually I have family over there. Uh, and I, I used to go over there quite a bit. Plus, uh, uh, the, the, uh, on Oahu, the first dispensary in Hawaii, they use some of my genetics. Uh, so I, I have a kind of a little bit of a, of a, of a soft spot for for just Hawaii for what it's given for mom gooey all those years ago with the first 1972 Maui Wowies um, that uh, as always that kind of always was one of those special things excuse me my dog needs to go out for a second oh. <laughs> yeah I had no idea he was there yeah he's a 14 year old dachshund oh, <laughs> miniature dog beautiful so He's a good boy. But, um, yeah, I, I like Hawaii. Uh, I have always liked uh, it, it, it. To me, it was always a very challenging place 
for a number of reasons as far as growing. So it really always attracted my attention to that because you really, I mean, the way that Hawaiians traditionally grew stuff is, is they would put small plants out up on the hills and they would let it go and they would come back a few months later and harvest and put another one in its place. Um, and that was always a, a very interesting dance because of the, the, police that were so vigilant about trying to er do the eradications over there. It was always something that I always thought was wrong. So every, anytime I'd go into the back country, I'd maybe take a few seeds and I'd spread them around into the jungles and stuff. Just <laughs> and I've had some people tell me they come across purple plants that I'd never seen. Oh, okay. Yeah. I used to hide stuff. I, I, I go to Hawaii. Whenever I go to Hawaii, I always have a, a kind of a, a hunt for and I hide seeds on the island and I give people clues and they go and they search them out and they always find them that's great so, a little treasure hunt <laughs> yep 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 it's always a good time I always enjoy doing that and I said anybody in the world that goes to Hawaii can go there and get them <laughs> I usually make it worth their while <laughs> so that's always a fun thing to do in Hawaii so yeah I, I like Hawaii that's great. That's great. And a, a follow-up from the same person who asked that question, but sort of different. They were wondering, and I don't know if this actually has an answer. They said, do you have any cool stories from when you did the photo shoot of The Dark Desire with Worldwide Magazine? Sorry, Weed World Magazine. No, as a matter of fact, no. Uh, that was done by a Canadian grower and photographer. Uh, O'Cannabis uh, is, is his name. And he's the one who initiated that whole thing i sent him cuts uh of of those plants because you know he and i hit it off and i just said oh here let me help you out and he gave him that and he grew those and then submitted it into into uh uh the, the magazine for them to print and they ran it and so that's yeah and there's other references uh there in one of the bet 100 best sativas in the world or something like gooey's in there uh, there's a, there's a whole bunch of books and things and I don't know, it goes on and on. I'm just happy to be able to give people something to photograph and enjoy. Yeah, that's cool to hear. That's cool to hear. We had another listener who asked if you had any tips on taming really sativa dominant plants indoors. Yeah, I, you know, I always tell people if you're going to have a stretchy, crazy plant like that, the grow plantlet method, do the plantlet method rather than growing full-size plants, drew a whole bunch of short um, cuttings and flower those out in mass, create a whole carpet full of nothing but bud that ends up only getting about three feet tall, even on the stretchiest stuff. Start out with two two-inch clones and flower them directly. And even the stretchiest plants will only get up to about, you know, two or two and a half, three feet, and they'll just be nothing but bud. Lovely. I love it. The next question I actually got from your Instagram page, beautifully, beautifully well thought out and worded question from one of your followers, and they wanted to know, how do breeders effectively work around the reality that genetic expressions are constantly moving, and given change, especially given changes in environmental conditions, is this something that washes out with the more experienced when growing and breeding lines, or are there more nuances at it? Well, again, you're, you know, it depends on what you're talking about. You're breeding with. It all comes back to the selection of genetics. 
if you have wide base genetics, you're going to have wide base expressions. If you have narrow base expressions, you're going to have narrow expressions come out. That's just how it is. So my my biggest point that I always tell people is consistency in selection, consistency in environment, and consistency in your methods of how you select what you're looking for. And you will always overcome these nuanceable things that can come up. Yeah, you can't control for an environment that changes that's outside. So, you know, I, I always discourage people from exclusively breeding outside. It's something you need to experience and you need to do it. But it's not something that I think people need to cut their teeth on. I think that it's easier to control an indoor environment where you are learning all those aspects and are controlling what you're seeing in the expressions of the plant that you can then dependably go forward with a breeding project that's going to give you predictable and, and equitable results. That's just, that's just, it all goes back to simple stuff, folks. You're, you don't make this stuff so complicated and don't make it any more than it really has to be. But it comes back to what you're selecting to use for your genetic gene pool to work in period. It's a lot of these things have the same answer. They really do. And I, I hate that. I, I hate that it's been made to be believed to be so uh, I, I, complicated. There's, there's either two sets of ways of looking at breeding from people who don't know anything about breeding. It seems like it's an uh, incredible monumentous task and people who are breeders but are lazy breeders think that pollen chucking is the answer and that you're going to hit it right you know no matter what and both of those are bad ways of looking at things you know you, that's not how you deal with it yeah i understand where you're coming from with that one so on to a, a slightly different topic in the past, we've had some guests on who have discussed how there's the emergence of now cannabis-specific pests, like the cannabis aphid you may have heard of. And this is just one of possibly many cannabis-specific bugs that we're seeing come out of the fact that cannabis is just being grown on such large scales. Do you have any thoughts on how we might try to prevent more of these superbugs from emerging, or what can we do to combat it? Boy, that's a good question, because... You know, a, a breeder should be using bugs as an indicator. A breeder should be a, a, a bugs for a breeder are something different than they are for anybody else. Um, bugs tell you what plants are the preferred plants before they have, the plants are ever expressed. If you have a group of plants like this this set right here that I just showed you the microbreeding, if I go through those. There will be plants that have more bugs because they're outside. And there will be more plants uh, with bugs on it. That ones that have more bugs are the ones that are going to be sharper flavors, heavier highs, more pronounced highs. The bugs know this before they even get to this stage. And so I always tell people, pay attention to bugs if you're a breeder because they're telling you, they're pointing the way early on. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Having said that, uh, when you get into commercial stuff, uh, you're, you're starting to become a real issue with uh, stuff like that in indoor crops where they can have free reign. I've always found that if I've had a problem with something that I needed to control, 
natural methods seem to be uh, as good as um, chemical methods as far as, oh, let's say, you know, oil on spider mites, you know, tends to do the trick better than um, spreading poisons around that linger and stay in and seep into the plant and you ingest it ultimately. But no, I don't have any magic answers for that. But again, I'm not the right person to ask for that. I'm really not. That's not my job. My job is not production. My job is not producing beautiful, thick plants that are going to be sold in stores and stuff. That's not my, that's not my purpose. My purpose is to design this stuff so that you can take it and do that end of it. So I'm not the best person to ask about stuff like that. Sure. I mean, there's another sort of similar discussion, not really similar, but uh, it's somewhat related, I guess, in the sense that people are talking about male sex stability and using these males as pollen donors. And I wanted to ask you specifically, have you ever bred with males that show some amount of female expression or do you think that's just shitty intersex traits, shouldn't use it? I I don't. I don't use them. Whenever I see it, I I even I've... I've heard all the accolades about they tend to fail, you know, favor female, you know, expressions and, and all of that. And uh, to me, it's dirty genetics. It's just dirty genetics because I don't care how good the quality is or how it is. If you've got it in a mass and you're trying to do something in a, on an industrial scale, you're doing that and you got a genetic like that in there you're ruining that whole crop or you're tainting that whole crop or you're influencing that whole crop. And to me, getting rid of any uh, intersexing at all is so important. I have done it for years dealing with when goo was being developed because the tie had a tendency to show some hermaphrodism if it was pushed any at all. And, and that was be the case. I had to breed that out of subsequent gooey stuff because you know even in the even in the the later stages of growing the pure gooey and, and designing the pure gooey it was very um much something that i had to watch for because it, recessives would emerge and they would come in and then you'd all of a sudden you'd see expressions and it would change uh sometimes you'd see them very early other times you'd see them really late in flowering anything that displayed anything like that at all was immediately removed from the gene pool. That's how I do it. Look, on that topic of removing things from the gene pool, I know that you you end up, you know, not releasing a good majority of the things you end up making oh. because you decide oh, yeah. not up to scratch. If you had to put a number on it, what percentage of crosses do you think don't make the cut for you? 95. Wow, very strict. I like it. Oh, no, no, seriously. I'm dead serious about that. Almost everything that you see won't make it past the second, the second uh, set of tests. Everything out there that I showed on Instagram and stuff is all great first F1 material that, that you can see that particular strain giving that particular expression. But it goes through another set of tests. And those are put through rigors for stress, for uh, different um, uh, types of of um, uh, tolerances for nutrient and stuff like that, because everybody knows I don't like to spend money. I'm cheap as hell. And so 
I build in that economy into these plants so that I get complaints all the time about people saying that they, they my plants burn easy. Don't use as much. That's it. They're, they will produce just as much with half of the nutrient. And they're designed to do that because I don't want to spend a lot of money on nutrients and expensive stuff when I don't need it. And I can get the same thing with half. So they're designed to be, to be sensitive like that because you don't need that. You know, I'll save you money. Again, it's for the customer. <laughs> Gosh, it's so easy. <laughs> An act of service. It, it's interesting you raise that point because there's currently a discussion on the Instagram community about like what is due diligence with testing and, and sort of to summarize that people are like, yeah, it's all well and good if you test your plants and get good results, but you've got to give it to the shittest grower there is because they're going to expose it to stuff you're not going to, blah, blah, blah. To me, I wasn't so sold on that idea. Do you think testing things yourself and if it passes, that's good enough or do you think you really have to stress it out a bit? <laughs> Great question. And here's the answer that's simple and I've already actually touched on it. Again, I don't use anything but soil and cow shit. That's it. So my stuff is all designed around that basic mix because let's just say that no one someone who doesn't know and i've said this many times to many people online before that everything is geared towards the person who doesn't know what they're doing to still get optimum results for as little effort as they're going to put into it because a lot of us know that there's people out there that kill plants they just kill them they kill them with kindness they kill them with with uh, caring, they kill them with uh, uh, um, just a, an over sense of love, and and this is designed for people who are the other end of that spectrum. They kill them because they're lazy. They're killing them because they don't pay attention to them. They're killing them because they didn't give them enough of what it was to do. What it is that's why less less nutrients are needed. And you get the same expressions with full plants, big flowers, nice resin, good flavor. And it was just soil and cow shit. So I'm already designing for the base that you're talking about. And that people, that's why I tell people, I tell you that there's people out there that do amazing things with my stuff that I can't even do. You know, that's the other end of that spectrum that they took it to that next level that the plant was able to handle and you and utilize the maximum and they got even better than what would happen if cow with cow shit and soil but everything is geared towards cow shit and soil so yeah i've already built in those designs for these seeds that's exactly what is is i'm meant to do is to make it easy for the simplest person to get the best results so yeah yeah that's uh that's that that's what you do <laughs> yeah and look you just gave me a, a great segue because you you spoke about people doing really well with your work and you referenced joel of north star earlier and i wanted to bring that up quickly um and just sort of ask i i see he does a lot of uh projects with your lines in them and they look great and it got me sort of wondering is there any distinct differences between your work like if he did a cross that used two of your lines is that sort of just like a gooey breeder strain in a way? It is. It's uh, it, it, let me let me let me address that because Joel and and Jen are just they're phenomenal people and they really are 
They know what they're doing. They're good at what they do. And he's using a diverse enough genetic set that he's making totally different stuff than what I'm making. He's going in a different direction. He does tend to have a, a tendency to use some of the more commercial stuff in his, some of his lines, but not always. Um, and uh, I just, I, I just really think that he's got a different expression up to the point where like, let's call, let's just, and he will say this too, dirty little secret is his, one of his most famous strains. And it's actually the one that I was speaking with, with Mark Emery talking about how he thought that was some of the best pot he's ever tasted. Well, that's dark desire and, and purple mayhem. And those are both mine. And Joel acknowledges that whenever he, you know, somebody asks him, he says, well, basically it's a gooey strain. You know, it's just, he just maestroed it with the masterful skill that he has into a wonderful set of selections that he then, you know, was able to cross and do it. But, you know, I, I support that kind of thing. I want him to, you know, he, I think he was even going to keep that going just because he wanted to have that set of genetics because it gets so much attention and brings so much people into the fold. They get a little bit of gooey breeder that they've heard about and it's, he makes it much more readily available than I do. And so they get a little bit of that, but then they get to experience his stuff and his, and the things that he's designed in conjunction with that. And, and then, so he benefits from that. And I, and I think that that's just exactly why I gave him the genetics because they're good people. Uh, I love them to death and I want them to, to be successful. And somebody has got to carry this shit on when I croak. I mean, really, I mean, he's, I was kind of hoping that he'd help carry the mantle among other breeders, you know, and just keep it going and keep the brand alive. So, you know, but he's tired. <laughs> he, he, those guys have worked their butts off. I mean, Jen's in Philadelphia right now uh, at, a, at a show. So they're far flung. They go to New Jersey uh, uh, to go to shows. And uh, the last one they tried to do there was canceled, but I mean, uh, you know, it costs them a bunch of money, but they're out there getting it, trying to get it done, you know, and, and I admire that. They work well together. They're a good team. And I think that they're somebody that people ought to uh, experience more of their stuff. Yeah, definitely. I've always looked at their work and thought it looks really interesting and there's unique combinations in there. And you sort of just touched on, you know, yeah, as a community with We've had some some struggles, you know, with shows being cancelled, things like that. It affects everyone in different ways. And sort of something I realized there were parallels with is during COVID, we've also had a sort of a, a cannabis plant COVID in the sense that the hoplatin virus has really taken a stranglehold on the community over the past two years that we've been dealing with COVID. I know you don't bring in a lot of genetics to your la uh, library, but have you had any experiences with it at all? Nope. Not a thing. Not a thing. Nope. Very lucky. Very lucky. I guess a good reason why to keep your stuff to you and don't bring external in. Well, you know, and I also do, I, I do harden everything so that, you know, it's within itself, it's very strong so that it can withstand, you know, attacks. And, you know, when people sit there and say, oh, you know, it, it attracts powdery mildew and stuff. Yeah, there are some genetics in there that are prone to that. Unfortunately, mom gooey in her later periods of life has become uh, much more prone to possibly getting it. But if you control the bloom, 
then it, it might as well not have it, you know, as far as that goes. And so I just figure uh, at this stage with her age and everything and the way that susceptibility is uh, that you just kind of got to control it rather than try to breed it out of it. Because uh, quite frankly, there are just some things that follow along the very desirable lines that you're, you're going to, it's going to take a while to breed out specifically and keep the good stuff. And uh, I've had a, a mixed results with doing that with plants where there's some stuff that you just can't, you can't get rid of. And in, 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 uh, in, gooey, in gooey stuff, powdery mildew can be an issue. Now other people have had, had really great success in mold prone environments with their, um, they say it's very strong. So I, I, I you know, I, I, I can't speak to that because I can't see it, you know, I, and that's anecdotal at best. Um, so I can only speak to it from what I see and, and that's there. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I was curious, I seen you've been posting recently about a strain called Island Fire. And I remember a few years back, I grew out one of your freebies called Island Mix. And it was beautiful strain, very tropical, great structure. I was wondering, did the Island Mix somehow make it into the Island Fire? Nope, nope. <laughs> that, that Island Fire uses the same genetics uh, that went into uh, the Kona Sunset. Uh, in, in the pure Kona, I do believe, uh, went into Island Fire along with a, a subset from the Death Grip line that was really purple. Uh, it, it had a really strong initial feel to it. Like it, it would just grab you and shake you right off the bat uh, and then leave a very, very noticeable, long lasting buzz to it. And uh, so I used that, uh, and I, I, I got the balance right, I think. It's just a little bit hairy still, leaf-wise, for me um, as, as a whole. So I, I was had hopes of releasing that line, and now I'm thinking I'm going to refine it a little bit more and get rid of some of the, the – because the best plants are a little leafy, I think. I, I, for my taste, uh, you could trim it out and it would be fine. And it's beautiful stuff. Very, very distinct coloring, uh, towering, huge colas. Uh, very nice. But it still needs a little more work. So, it's, look, it's good to hear it's it's almost there. And Yeah, it is. Another one of our Patreon submitted questions was they were wondering what are the genetics behind the Black Raptor and what sort of traits would crosses with Black Raptor in it bring to the table? I think they're trying to figure out which cross is going to be best for them. Black Raptor is based on uh, Midnight Snow and Black Raptor is basically a dark Midnight Snow, but it has a definite uh, heavier feel to it. It's really aromatic. Uh, the flavors are along the same lines, but the, the raptor is a lot heavier. Um, and I use the, uh, people might remember a lemon purple male that I had that was just about black uh, and a beautiful, stunning kind of a expression of cola, a, a black cola, really long. I, I love that plant as far as that goes. And it is that, that plant, I crossed with a midnight snow, dark desire, 
old Mendo Hayes and gooey. And that made the, the flavor really pronounced and really heavy uh, as far as a, a bright uh, in your face kind of a, of a of flavor. And then use the, the male purple, uh, lemon purple in and mixed with that. And then that one was the father of the black Raptor. And it was hit to a, a pure, um, um, midnight snow. So it set the color, it set the flavor and it just deepened the smell, deepened the, the, uh, effect. And it, Midnight Snow is already around 24%. I think Black Raptor is a little higher, but it's really a nice, a nice, I, I always like it in the morning because it's, it's such a bright, it's like, not, it's not, doesn't taste like orange juice, but it has that same effect as drinking a glass of orange juice. It's really bright, effervescent in the mouth and really opens your eyes and gets your day going. Oh, lovely, lovely. Another interesting uh, sort of genetic component I'd seen you working with was the cinnamon. That caught my eye. I'm like such a diehard cinnamon fan. I was just wondering what genetics are in that and is it truly cinnamon? No, no, it is not. And the cinnamon actually came not from the taste, but it was described as cinnamon from the look and color that it would come from because it had a lot of amber to the resin right off the bat. And so it was a cinnamon color bud when you kind of dried it and, and got it ready. But the smell and taste were very bright, uh, very floral, um, kind of unique. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I do not remember where the cinnamon came from. I, it's uh, I I had had that thing for years and years and years, and I don't remember what its genetic makeup was or where it came from. It might have been given to me, um, but no, it did not. It wasn't a cinnamon profile in the flavor, but God darn, it looked like cinnamon colored. You know, with that beautiful, especially when you made hash out of it, you, you you'd think it was cinnamon. It was that. It was that dark. It was just uh, the, wow. Of course, cinnamon. No, that's a resin. So yeah, that's where the cinnamon came from. That's cool. I love it when strains have like a sort of cool backstory to them like that. That's that's really neat. I was wondering. I love to ask every guest this question: What seeds is Gooey excited to pop next? Here's the deal. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I have a backlog of eight years right now. I've trimmed off two years. I had 10 at the beginning of this year. I've, I've, I've cut down to eight years of backlog and I make seed every year. Of, uh, I don't know how many different kinds I make. Uh, it depends on the year and what I, what it's for. But, you know, if I'm doing stuff for clients or something like that, I'll go ahead and I'll uh, keep a portion of those for my own use. And that's always agreed upon. Um, and I always tell them I won't be releasing this in and of itself. I'll just be using it in genetic research. So uh, uh, I've got about eight years of stuff with their stuff that I have never mentioned. And I have never told anybody I've had yet just because it hasn't come up. Um, it just, it just hasn't come up. And, and, and what I thought I'd do is I'm going back to that old, working on this three foot area of space to clean up. I'm, I'm 
dealing with a small set of genetics and refining those and getting those out to people. And then I'm going to be moving into this next stage and doing, and so people will see less from me during that interim period. And I'm trying to avoid that. So that's why I'm working on the sets of genetics. I am the black lines, those kinds of things. I'm working on those to be able to, to have something to tide people over while I get this next set of things ready. And we'll see how far, how many times I could do this before I end up six feet under. <laughs> Look, I think you'll be around for a while longer and we're all grateful for that. One hopes, one hopes. Well, thank you. And you're very kind. <laughs> no, certainly. I think I echo the sentiment for everyone. Um, it's interesting because we've sort of briefly touched on it a few times throughout the episode, but a lot of people do complain. It's sometimes hard to get their hands on your work. And I guess the question becomes, how do you deal with banks? Do you wait for them to approach you? Or you do you approach them? How does a breeder work in the current landscape? Oh, well, how breeders work is a different question than how I do it. And, 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 and I'll tell you right now, I work with a set of, reps and i let them deal with with distribution and everything like that once i turn it over to a rep it's their gig they can do whatever they want however they want to do it as long as they you know you uh, highlight the brand in a positive light as it should be unless it doesn't deserve it if it doesn't deserve it i want the rep to be able to feel that and then say hey look out for this, or he told me this, or because it does this, we're going to give you free this as a replacement to make sure that you, the customer, are taken care of. And and so that kind of attitude pervades everything. That, that And so, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, I think I'm smoking gooey again because I got, <laughs> I got Hit that one, hit that one. I love it, I love it. You gotta go. Oh, well, my wife is saying that it's about time to. That's <laughs> that's perfect. Get your going. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah, look, I had I had one final question for you that I was interested to hear your take on. Outside of Mum Gooey, there's been a variety of different pure gooeys and various sort of recombinations of gooey. Which one is the most standout in your mind? Ah. Uh, now, again, that's a weird question as far as you know, are you talking about other things? Like there's an old goo that comes from Santa Cruz that has been around since the 70s. And it's different than gooey. It's not, it's not gooey. It's different. Now, whether people are still using that goo or not, um, it has been described to me as being really similar really similar i have never um had it tested or anything like that because sometimes you know we'll we'll genetically test things to see if they're related like you know somebody was questioning afgui and they have shown that in subsequent tests that mom gooey is is the the mother um so but that hasn't happened with uh other goo strains since there's a lot of people that name stuff you know, they don't, they don't know, you know what I mean? That, uh, especially the newer breeders and whatnot, they don't bother to look up and see what's active online or what's been around a long time. They'll just name something, something. And then 
it gets its own little traction and stuff going. And you know, you have to be aware of that. I, I, I think that's one of the fun things that people can count on with Canada exotics and, and this stuff is that this genetics has been around a long time and it has a, a long history that people can follow. And, and, and that seems to be lacking in the other kinds of expressions that you're speaking to, you know, you don't find that history to be able to, to, you know, avail yourself of. And that makes a difference. So I, I kind of tend to just fall back on that whenever, whenever people ask me about other variations or other uh, materializations of something like that, I just kind of fall back on only what I know and go from there. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. And do you have time for one last quick one? Sure. Sure. I would be interested to hear what's your thoughts on how legalization has turned out versus how you thought it would go? Oh, well, yeah, I actually always thought it would be a lot more uh, streamlined and, and uh, uh, I knew that there was always going to be a little bit of contention and a little bit of, of societal um, unrest around it as you transition from a, something that's been traditionally illegal and always has been and always was prospected to be that is going to be illegal because it was deemed bad, you know, war on drugs kind of thing, that kind of stuff. And then it, uh, uh, it started to shift and legalization. Now I kind of think has gone and swung the pendulum the other way too far where it's over-regulated, it's over-controlled, um, over-taxed, over, um, <laughs> over-produced and over-bred with a, a too many holes in each of those systems with different stuff falling through all the time. I think a more measured um, type of method needed to be used. I think the genie's out of the bottle now and we've got to kind of adjust to what we have and correct the, the wrongs that are, you know, present in the system now, because I think it's just a learning curve. I don't think we've ever been here before and, we don't, you know, we didn't, you, you knew kind of how society was going to go. You just didn't know which direction and how far, or how fast. And now we're seeing all of that right now. And I kind of just tend to think that cooler heads will prevail eventually and, and, and it'll settle in. We have a, a, a plan with the legal material that I'm trying to get set up where we're going to provide genetic stock for vineyard people that are wanting to convert a portion of their land over. And, you know, we want to provide those uh, genetics in a consistent multi-year contract kind of a, a thing. And uh, uh, we're, you know, you, you have to bounce in to the system that's set up with, with the reality that of what the future may hold and the future may hold a, a very low price, you know. And so all of our pricing is based on $275 a pound. And you're still able to do, you know, make a good living uh, on that kind of number. Now, right now, it's nowhere near that here, but it's nowhere near where the apex of how it used to be, uh, you know, over 4,000 a pound, nowhere near that either. And a lot of the people that got into the industry when that was going on, that was their target. They thought they were going to see it was going to stay like that forever. And that's just not real. So I think that the pendulum is going to end up, you know, being in the middle and we'll be okay. 
but uh, uh, until we vacillate through this stuff and get and work back and, and all the entities that are against it have their say and all the ones that are for it have their say, you're, I think we're in for some tumultuous years. I really do. I think that until it gets all settled and it gets normalized and the federal government goes ahead and, and normalizes things and has one consistent set of laws for it that are governed by the whole United States, then you'll see, then you'll see, you know, real progress until then fractionalization and stuff like that. Really an impediment, really an impediment. Some wise words there for sure. I think that just about brings us to the end of things. Gooey, were there any comments or shout outs you wanted to make? I just really want to thank everybody that bothers to give this old guy a, a listen. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your patronage. And I really want to tell each and every one of you that your garden is as important to me as my own. And I will always promise to give you my very best. And I hope that you'll allow me to enjoy the fruits of your labor by maybe giving me a a, a look-see at what you've produced and show people. And uh, I'm always, always open to criticism. I would much rather hear people's negative thoughts and stuff about my material because I learn more from that. And at this stage in my life, I like to learn more. I really want to do the best I can. And the only way I can do that is with your help. So I really appreciate you. I thank you. And I care very much about each and every one of you. Beautiful sentiment there again from the head honcho of Counter Exotics. So again, huge thank you, Gui, for coming on the show, sharing your knowledge, a bit of history, and we hope to see you again. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me, and I, I enjoyed my time. Thank you so much for letting me blather on. <laughs> There you have it, gang. Some wise words from one of the best in the industry, Gooey Breeder. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. We're so grateful for when you stop by and share your knowledge. What do you all think? I thought it was great. As usual, we want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors. Seeds here now. Best seed bank in the game. Go grab it. Likewise, Copper Biological Systems. Thank you so much for everything you do without your amazing predatory bugs. Our gardens would be so much harder to keep clean. Check out the Afipar M or the Spidex Vital, two absolute killer products that will help your garden to be successful. Shout out to ProMix for their ProMix Connect. Best mycorrhizal product in the game. Increase yields, resins, cannabinoids, terpenes, whatever you're after probably going to increase it. Check it out, guys. Ponix Connect. Charlie's Cannabis, number one spot in Oklahoma. If you need fire of any sort, they got your back. Remember, Charlie's your bud. Last but not least, thank you to the Patreon gang. We love you. Without you, the show really couldn't happen. If you want access to episodes early, additional interviews, unheard content, giveaways and more check out the patreon www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast i'll see you for the next one gang we'll see you